Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. I have gone to several elite colleges, and I have... Wow. I have... <laughs> several. No, I One degree, a, by the way. Typical. Several elite colleges. <laughs> typical. Yeah. Actually, technically, yes. I went to Tulane, and then I transferred to Claremont McKenna, so yeah, several. Yeah. But no, I also went... I also somehow, by the grace of God, got into a elite prep school, and I was coasting through all of these places on a shitload of scholarships, and at the same time time i would be in the quote-unquote asian society with some <laughs> south, with some like hong kong heiress who was driving maseratis <laughs> and we were just sitting there going like wait the thing that unites us is that we eat rice okay no oh. the older you get the yeah. older you the older i get and the more i understand this i'm just like no there is a lot of shit i had to go through that you did not have to go through we know of new methods of attack Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of the people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I'm back in the building and I'm delighted to be here and associated with a place called Freethink where I do all manner of remarkable things. And tonight I am your guide into this exciting odyssey. I'm here no more Moynihan trying to horn in on my wow. duties. You know, I'm sorry that when all the mail comes in. There he is. And <laughs> you hear, you can hear the tearing of the envelopes. You'll hear it in a second. And people are saying, what can you do uh-huh. to just take over permanently? <laughs> can you get rid of him? Can you have him kidnapped? Is there a rump of the Butter meinhof organization you people. in bed You people. That's what they say that, about that you. That voice. When they're not sending this Mackenzie bourbon <laughs> yeah. whiskey well, specifically can, can you please Moynihan? let me finish what my other? intro and I'll yeah. do all the things? Yeah, Th- this is uh, Michael Moynihan, Vice News Tonight and HBO. He does things hey. there. He's a national correspondent. Matt Welch, whose voice you've also heard, who uh, is an editor-at-large at Breathing Magazine. These two gentlemen are already jumping in and trying to steal my shine. <laughs> Our good friend Anthony Fisher is also in the room. He is a politics editor at Insider. He's at the controls here. Good and, day. Uh, this is uh, going to be very exciting. Yeah. This is ve- going to be very exciting. Mm. Are you just and it's going to be pretty... Yeah. You sleep Hi. <laughs> hey, well, you know... What the hell? Hi, Camille. He's doing a thing. He's doing a thing. I have a thing. He's doing a bit. He's doing a bit. Okay. Where oftentimes I will introduce yeah. the, the gentlemen who are here ordinarily yeah. and ask them how the hell are they, and then I'll introduce the guests so that it's yeah. more special. So you would know that, but Tina, you know if you listen to the since, podcast. Since <laughs> Tina's been here before. Yeah, we've been DMing most of today. It's true. It's yeah, true. so I feel... She jumped into my DMs. Yeah. No, you jumped into mine. Whoa. Whoa. Don't. True story. True, True story. story. Don't be tripping. Tina staff reporter for Vanity Fair, in the building, yeah. one of the fifth column fandom favorites. Yes. This is true. It's really? true. It's Multi-time totally true. guest. Yeah, yeah, it's true. People I mean, love whole, you. What? People adore you. You know, we should do True the things. How? Like, like yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, trust me, we've asked ourselves the same question. And I'm glad we, we don't agree know. on that. They wow. insisted on you coming back. We need to like, like you know, your second time, your third time, you get you get the fifth column socks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you get the, you get the, the button down, like college sweater. Hmm. You know, we need to literally who's going to pay for all that. Says the man <laughs> wearing a t-shirt that says sex, drugs, and robots. Yeah. Reason, reason branded swag. Yeah, I, you know, when 
when's the last time I paid mm-hmm. for a T-shirt? Hey, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. actually, all those conference, it's very Silicon Valley. Yeah, thank you <laughs> for noticing. No, my uh, younger sister is in the tech world, and when she was going through college, she got invited to all of these conferences. Even more so because she was a young female minority in tech. Mm-hmm. So when I helped her move out of her dorm, she had three giant. Um, garbage bags full of T-shirts that she'd gotten from tech conferences. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you notice that at tech conferences, I was at one kind of mistakenly yesterday in Las Vegas, and literally no one is owning, no one owns a piece of clothes that they purchased anywhere. They always had, they all have like names of companies I've never heard of and mm-hmm. do things that I don't know what they do. But it was like a free thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, essentially shell companies for <laughs> scumbags that live in bed and pretend to be entrepreneurs. By the way, I'm doing air quotes for those of you who are not getting the video stream, the I Joe Rogan have, video stream. I still have uh, T-shirts from like... Uh, what are your doc- hands doing there? It looks like you're doing breast <laughs> motions. <I'm, I'm>, <laughs> those are ample breasts. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I'm that was the, a Jane Mansfield the, kind of motion. Devin Nunez cow uh, motion. Uh, uh, no, I still have like dot com... I think 2.0 or even 1.0.com boom uh, shirts e-business. I have an hmm. e-business. <laughs> Do you have industry sta- the industry standard? Oh Do you remember God, that? That, that was, was the uh, that was the magazine, right? That went that went belly up pretty fast. I think fast. they spent like a hundred million dollars in about eight months. And then so has died. anyone watched? Uh, considering we're uh, bullshitting and wasting everyone's time, yeah. um, <laughs> I, I watched uh, the Theranos documentary. I was about which, to. By ask the way, it's someone... not very good. Just yeah. for the record, I fell asleep trying to watch. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to trans- so transition overrated. to it by asking if anyone had a Theranos T-shirt. You know, I was thinking because when I was watching that, I wish I had some Theranos gear because it's like everywhere now. And everyone, everyone knows about it. People don't know anything about tech or like all talking about Theranos. I heard this in the past couple of days. People saying, did you watch that Theranos doc? I did. Unimpressed. The kind book, of unimpressed. Is it the book, by all accounts, is, is phenomenal. The it, podcast is good. John Carrey, who lives in my podcast. neighborhood in, uh, <gasps> in Carroll Gardens and is a really, really good reporter, a hell of a nice guy. I mean, he deserves so much credit. Yeah. He just found that He story. doesn't deserve any credit. What he deserve, He's got what he deserved, which is millions of dollars. Because that you book, that book, no, 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 oh my God, that book is so on the bestseller list for... Mm-hmm. God knows how long. It's like I that. Mean, Michelle Obama. Millions of copies. I think Michelle Malkin. <laughs> <laughs> it was the thing about how Elizabeth Holmes should be put on an island with John uh, McCain's yeah. ghost. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, oh. yeah. Well, I'm not laughing at John McCain's ghost. I'm laughing at I, the fact that Michelle Malkin exists. But anyway, uh, overrated documentary. So if you got time, don't. don't but can don't you? Can it. anyone here do an impersonation of the voice? Um, who's a groomer? <laughs> I, uh, I might as well try considering oh I'm the God. only woman That's in actually here. Holy yeah. shit! I mean, what you really good. have to do is just be a woman and then drop oh. your octaves maybe down by. Yeah. That's really a amazing. Half. No, seriously, that's really good. Is she in the range? But in the documentary, they don't mention this, but in, I think, ABC's podcast, which I've kind of put on in the background, it's one of those kind of background podcasts. Which, I, which I've heard much is Much like this one. It's very good, yeah. Yeah. But they have a little bit about that, is apparently she doesn't talk like that. And when she would get drunk, she would, like, lose character. But the thing that I was talking to somebody about the other day when I was on, I, I was some um, work colleagues was that why is that something you aspire to well i understand the dressing like steve like a frumpy steve jobs but um the dropping the voice if you are someone who dropped out of stanford but thought you were smart enough to read a bunch of stanford business review articles and whatnot you would probably come across at some point a study talking about how women in the workforce are perceived less as less intelligent if their voices are higher pitched and so people will and so they will 
try to drop their voices to lower pitches. That's a thing you see with a lot of newscasters. Uh, Margaret Thatcher apparently had a vocal coach in order to help get her voice to yeah, that. Yeah, her voice. Deep, deep uh, that's really? exactly right. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's not that's how true. she spoke. Yeah, yeah. She, she sounds her. a lot more like Mrs. Doubtfire. She she <laughs> she became. I mean, and the, looks too. Well, oh, the funny thing true. about it is that she was always. Um, I mean, the the kind of line on her is that she was the green grocer's daughter, right? Mm. Um, and she had the posh accent <laughs> of anyone. It's like the green grocer's daughter of Eaton or something. But she that was that was kind of an affectation. But there's a point at which the affectation becomes your actual real voice. Mm. I, I was interviewing somebody yesterday who was uh, born in England. Uh, grew up and abandoned at some point in his life in South Africa and then moved to various places and then um, ended up in Las Vegas. And that is like when, you know, when you mix all the flavors together, it is a Boston accent. <laughs> it, was <amazing. laughs> it was so amazing because like literally the, my producer who's from Western Massachusetts was like, is he from Boston? And I'm like, no, he's he's English via South Africa, then via, and you trace the whole thing and you put it together and every, it's a Boston accent. Is this the time to finally have it out? Like, what? what's the deal with the way you talk? What are you talking about? Like, you, not that. You can do any uh, impersonation on the... But Buddy, you, I'm doing an impersonation of most everything, all right? Uh, but like you're... <laughs> of a journalist. Your resting bitch voice <laughs> Of a is, friend of yours. <laughs> has, has like a little tiny, like, British thing in there. And it's, I think it's Canadian. It's Canadian. Like, it's yeah, the yeah. Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Is that a Mid-Atlantic? Mid it might be The mid perfect Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. Like... 1930s Hollywood bosses teaching yeah. people to speak like this. Gorbachev, yeah. George Plimpton, yeah. a little bit of that. Well, I like the 30s Hollywood thing better now. <laughs> but like, yeah. does anybody else your podcast? See, <laughs> does anyone else in your family have that little? Oh god, thing? no. Yeah, no, okay. No, so you're just creating your own character, like a no. certain Theranos. No, no, no. no. I'm it's, the it's kind of Elizabeth Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I grew up with people who talked a bit like this. So and you're like, they're cool. They yeah, got yeah, they got yeah. out of the, the no, mean streets. Uh, no, they're all like have, you know, wives of, that they cheat on and like kids that are annoying now. So they didn't get out of anything. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're exactly where they began. Yeah. So apparently the affectation that I employed is the is the ticket to um a podcast that people sometimes listen to. <laughs> I was trying, by the way, I was instantly trying to assess my career there. Yeah. It, didn't, it didn't come out well. But, I have you know. a question before we leave the topic. Topic: Have you ever artificially lowered your voice to be taken more seriously? Who, who are you asking? Oh. Me, um, <laughs> Anthony Fisher. <laughs> no, no, it's what Satina. Is it's Satina. No, yes, Anthony actually talks like this. What was <laughs> it's a helium balloon guy. <laughs> Um, my actually, no, it actually took me a while for my voice to reach this level. Like it, I think I had a bit of an affectation, but starting when I was like 19 or something, maybe it was just age or alcohol or, you know, breathing in polluted air all the time. And now my voice is at this level. Um, I actually, the thing is when I was younger, I did a lot of speech and debate and a lot of, um, a lot of the training that went into that was, uh, public speaking and mm. part of it was how do you get your voice to a lower register because really? talk, yeah talking like talking in a lower register is easy and you can like stay in it if you have been consciously trained in how to do it so i think the problem with elizabeth warren's voice if i'm going to go all king's speech here is um warner or i mean elizabeth uh, elizabeth holmes is no no elizabeth warren definitely has probably been taking public speaking classes for a very long time. Elizabeth Holmes most certainly has not. Because mm. if you were trying to speak in a lower register, you wouldn't, you would try to keep your voice like through the, you would breathe through the diaphragm. Mm -hmm. 
and have a voice that came like from an actual gut in the way that a singer does or um, if, like an effective public speaker. Elizabeth Holmes keeps her voice. Wow, that's really good. Like whenever she wants to make her voice deeper, she just kind of keeps it up here in the throat. Yeah. So like even if you try to lower it a couple of pitches, it's just going to resonate like there. You know, the thing is, is that everybody does something, right? There's always an affectation. I mean, it doesn't, you know, trying to fit in when you're younger. I mean, there were kids in my school that were British mm -hmm. who the next day weren't very British, you know, because everyone's like, hey, what's up there? All of a twist. Like, I don't know, dude. Like, yeah, I'm from fucking here. You okay. know? It's like all of a sudden. But um, with the thing with uh, Elizabeth Holmes Warren uh, from oh, Therachusetts or whatever, she, the, the, Harvard. the, 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 the uh, uh, their Federalist Society at one point. And uh, there was there was a um, a story that she when she got drunk, she as I said, she fell out of character. And there's people whose voices, of course, change. The really pretentious ones are the ones that sort of annoy you. The people that all of a sudden talk like Bill Buckley one day and the next day don't. But most people who don't like I don't fall out of character when I get drunk. It's like this voice is my voice. Mm -hmm. And I'm the same complete insufferable asshole when I'm drunk, but just more in, in the same voice. Well, you can attest to that, right? It's a it's a, a talent of yours that it really takes a lot of drinking for yeah. you to sound like you've been drinking. Uh, it's a, it's so you've only done as but, drunk as you've been on this podcast, you've only sounded drunk like once, three three times. Once, <laughs> once recently, once, once recently, really fucking great. I think I actually texted Camille the next day when I woke up in like Parsippany with like no pants on. I was like, "Can you not? Can you cut that shit at the end?" Like, where I was, where I was literally, literally like, I was like, "I don't know." Richard Spencer seems like a good guy. Like I, just, I didn't say. <laughs> about 20 times in a row i did oh fucking great yeah so <laughs> i will say this one last thing about the elizabeth this uh, elizabeth Ho the um holmes john oh my holmes. god john holmes it's fine, it's fine. elizabeth holmes we, we know what uh, you really think <laughs> <laughs> no um about the idea that she had to keep that affectation i like the moment yeah. i stopped doing the stupid elizabeth holmes voice my voice like my vocal cords hurt. Yeah. Like they actually hurt in doing the Elizabeth Holmes voice. Yeah. Like that has to be a conscience to. Did you ever do that in front of your parents? That voice, like the, the Elizabeth Holmes voice when you were doing that that short period where you were trying to lower the register. Um, I don't think so. No. Because they're the ones that will call you on it. Uh, no, I had a couple of speech and debate coaches that were like listening to me talk and then were like, no, no, you're doing it from the diaphragm, not from the vocal cords. That's where yeah. you get the weird breathy voice. Yeah. Well, just uh, hit uh, Tina up on Twitter if you prefer <laughs> her Elizabeth Holmes voice and you'd like to, to revert to that. Do I? <laughs> just like, oh, she's, I she's sure to take and your before advice. We get my into office like, will kill me. <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes is a constant punching bag. And, so, um, <laughs> and uh, before we get on to the actual real stuff, I want to point out that while um, my ability to drink enormous amounts of alcohol and not have anyone know is a superpower, it's also not a superpower <laughs> because sometimes you do things in a completely straight voice register, no hiccups, no, nothing. And um, they're not, they're things that you would do as a drunk person and you would get a free pass, not a free pass, but people like, you know, he was just drunk. They, they you'll explain to them the next day, like, I was drunk. They're like, no, you weren't. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, no. When I tried to take your pants off in the bus station, I was actually really just like, I, that was not clear to me. I think you're just making this up to excuse yourself. So, yes, Matt, it is great when you're at, like, a function <laughs> and you don't want to humiliate the person that you're there with. Uh, it is also quite bad, too. So, there you Understood. go. Well, thank you for that. No, for is that, it's, you know, it's good for the, for no, the it's listeners. Good yeah. It's good for people to know about you in general. 
general. I'm I very, mean, I'm now I'm very happy I? I've learned how to speak <laughs> in a lower register. Thanks, yeah. Moynihan. Well, there's yeah. there's plenty of stuff that I, I thought would make sense for us to get to today. We've got the the tragic circumstance over Christchurch, New Zealand, um, yeah. which we have not talked about yet, despite no. the fact that we had a, a somewhat late drop because I was late in getting the cutout. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that drop, by the way, it was, it was like amazing. <laughs> we were like, Hillary Clinton still, lost? Still worked. <laughs> Jesus. Still worked. Still worked. This will turn around a little faster. But there's still, also the 2020 Democratic primary. A lot of action happening there. So there's worth talking about. Um, I know Matt just got back from New Hampshire, so you may have some interesting things to share with us. Um, and there's plenty of other stuff that's worth talking about, uh, including this Stuyvesant high school scandal drama, which is continuing to play out. I'd say that this is probably like the biggest thing of the week, at least here in New York City. Um, but yes. I think nationally, there's probably so? a lot of attention. It, 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 it's, been, it's been projected uh, nationally. Is yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. But because I want to know at that point in uh-huh. the show, yeah, is that I'm going to make a a reference that would suggest that I'm a lot older than I am, but that's the show when that's the part in the show when Peter Chris takes the uh, the uh, stool and brings it out in the middle of the stage and sings Beth and we all go somewhere else. <laughs> that's a kiss reference. That's a kiss reference, by the way. It's like it's Thanks. like this is uh, Camille Solo. Uh, what is that? And, we're, and Tina, it, Matt, and we're all going to no, go and get I'm, a, I'm a, a kiss. Sings "Don't Stop Believing," right? No, that's yeah, exactly. Wow. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, same thing. Um, but before we get there. Because I was gone last week, and I, I did miss you all terribly. Uh, Andrew Yang, and we were going to talk 2020 in a little bit, but we did just recently have him on the podcast, and we had one of those sort of experiments and conversation that we do every once in a while. Moynihan, you had yours recently with the, yeah. the Mark Weisbrot, Mark Weisbrot <laughs> yeah. who had yeah. things to say about Venezuela. Yeah. Um, this happened <laughs> because I saw Andrew uh, in this clip from Cavuto where he was talking about socialism and capitalism and how Mm -hmm. there's no real difference between these two things anymore. And we've moved on and I was a little annoyed. Yeah. And I thought it would be interesting to talk to this gentleman. And at the time he had yet to sort of hit this stride um, and he'd yet to actually clear the hurdle necessary for him to appear in the debate. But keep in mind, this was only a couple of weeks ago. This was only a couple of weeks ago. So it's been a stride Mm -hmm. recently. Yeah. Exactly. Essentially, right after we talked to him, he sort of popped. (laughs) And I'm not claiming any credit for that because that wasn't my intention. But I did want to have a conversation with him. And and I want to give folks a little bit of context for this because I was a bit surprised by the response to this Mm -hmm. conversation. I always expected to be a, you know, you won, he won, it was a draw. It's like it's a fight. But it really wasn't a debate. It, it is a conversation. If I'm debating you, I'm not going to give you an inch. I'm going to try to go after you every single point that you make that I think is wrong. I'm going to make it a point to sort of declare I disagree stridently with that point. Which, is, just is to it? interject, uh-huh. Camille did at the Soho Forum and, ab- and absolutely wiped the table. With, with well, this, the is, this is what I do. This is like yeah, a, I mean, to, to the extent it's going to be verbal that's, that's, by the way, the correct forum for that. Yeah. You know? it's, I think boring. Right. it's boring on this Yeah, but this, is, but this is a conversation. Yeah. Like, the goal is to try to advance the conversation. And the, the, here are the hallmarks of a conversation. I make it a point to find points of agreement to talk to him about. We yeah. both agree that the NCAA should let athletes make some money. We yeah. both agree that there is a desperate need for educational reform and perhaps even agreed on some of the ways in which to try to accomplish this. Yeah. We disagreed fundamentally, I'd say, on the universal basic income. But my goal was to try to extract some information from him and get him to talk about this policy, which he did. Yeah. But what surprised me wasn't so much that people came away from it. Some people actually thinking, 
oh, wow, you know, I really liked his ideas a lot after that. Camille, you know, really got his ass handed to him to the extent you think that you're you're dumb. Wait, some who, people said that? Yeah, a few people. Mm, really. but, but what really surprised me was the people who thought, well, this is an endorsement. Like, I, I agree with him <laughs> because I'm Ooh, not sorry. savaging him. Which is absurd. Which is just, this is silly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to say succinctly that, no, I'm not a proponent of the u- universal basic income. Furthermore, I think if you listen to that conversation, there are at least three things that Yang does in the exchange that I think are worth noting. Um, one, he, he Yang claims that this universal basic income where he's giving $1,000 to every American above the age of 18, and the only sort of limitation on this is if there's a federal or per state month, right? entitled per month. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. forever, in perpetuity. Yeah. The only... Caveat is if you're receiving some sort of federal or state entitlement payment, it will be deducted from the amount. How that works, yeah. we don't quite know. But Yang was claiming that this would be simple and straightforward to implement because it's all it is is just cut and check to every American. This would be so easy to do. Um, he was further claiming that this would be uh, a program that would actually earn a return and generate a lot of money for America, stimulate the economy. Um, and he claimed that all of this was necessary as he's continued to do with what I would say is just techno-pessimist fear-mongering because automation is coming and the robots are going to take our jobs. Mm -hmm. And as he has suggested over and over again in different contexts, a third of all U.S. jobs will be destroyed by automation. I pushed Andrew on all of these points. And Andrew couldn't substantiate his claim about the 4% plus annual growth that we're going to get from this program. At a minimum, he had to back away from it. I think that's worth noting. Andrew, when pushed, had to say, you know, we're going to test this program to see if it actually works in the way that it's advertised. This is, seems important, seems like an important point. I also asked him why, if $1,000 is just going to pay for itself, why not make it something like three or 4000 something that would actually get people above the poverty line? He didn't ever explain. He didn't have an answer for that. And he also couldn't address the fact that most entitlement programs in the United States are awash in all sorts of fraud And when I asked him how he would contain fraud in this program, he suggested that he thinks that we'll be able to handle that. Well, the the, the argument should be that there is no fraud because everybody gets the same amount of money. You can't get more, you can't get less. Unless they're Mm -hmm. dead or they're getting these other entitlements, which he's not eliminating. So so they would be able to game this system. So I just did two – I did two shoots for a a featured documentary, like a a long one, where I have a a section of it on UBI. Uh So I went to Finland and I went to – uh, Stockton, California, right. which, yeah, there you go. Pavement. Literally the worst place on earth. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, but by the way, the people of Stockton, very, very nice. Yep. The Old hellscape that they nice. live in, oh, uh, not so nice. Um, Thanks, California. Yeah, thank you. But, but, both these, but both of these places have recently done or are planning to well, do UBI Stockton trials. Well, Stockton is in the process of doing it. And um, I met with somebody who won the lottery. It's a lottery thing. They're doing a sort of small contained version of it. Finland did something very similar that was kind of a, a, a lottery system, too. Right. They ended their experiment in December of last year. I was there for the last week of it. And it was not it was misreported that they actually ended it because it, it failed. But are we talking about Finland or Finland? Yes. Finland. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not true. Right. It, was, it was a change of government. Right. Right. But they started aggregating the data pretty much the day that we left. And that data has come back and it has come back not the way that the UBI proponents wanted it to and come still, back. still okay. somewhat preliminary. Yeah, it's preliminary. But the suggestion was and keeping in mind, it's a very strange comparison because Finland has a very robust welfare state. It, the suggestion was 
if people who were on the lower end of the income scale had this small amount of money to cover things like basic bills, it would allow them the freedom to do X, Y, and Z. They would be happier people. They would, they would, they would find more employment, not less, because this is not the money that you can live on, right? So the idea is not to give people money that would just, you know, supplant an income that they had ordinarily. Mm-hmm. It's to give them some sort of base. You know, when this goes on a national scale, you have to ask about sort of wage, like inflation of prices of everything. Everyone's mm-hmm. getting the same amount of money. It's going to sort of push prices up. They have answers to all this stuff. I'm not sure how convincing they are, but there are experiments. This has been going on for a very, very long time. And keep in mind that the that this country experimented with it um, on a national scale that was never implemented, and that was the Nixon administration. And right. one of the people being put, put, well, one of the people put in charge of doing the research there was Donald Rumsfeld, hmm. was, was yeah. UBI stuff. And, the, and, the, and of course, the reason... There's like, oh, there's a unity on this issue between conservatives and liberals. There isn't. I mean, it's it's the sort of basic idea, but conservatives want this to replace any transfer payments at right. all. All of that's them. not what happens in Finland. That's not what would happen in Stockton. So it's it's not what Mr. Mr. Yang is proposing either. Exactly. It's also exactly. a negative income tax. So it yeah. would have been phased out exactly. as you earned yeah. more as opposed to what Mr. Yang is proposing. And again, I don't want to I don't want to try to adjudicate all of this mm-hmm. right now. The goal here isn't to to try to make the argument from my particular point of view, but I do think it's it's appropriate for folks to be aware of what the expectation yeah. is in a conversation like that. My right. hope is that you learn something from an exchange and not so much walk away from it thinking winner, loser, draw. Yeah. Maybe, okay, that was interesting. Perhaps there's more to learn about this sure. particular program. Because when he's making precise claims, when he's citing figures and and facts and details, I may not call him on every figure that we I can't. think is questionable. Yeah. Um, I could, but it would just be so boring. Hermes <laughs> Leonard. Yeah, yeah. Go, go do your homework. Go do your homework in, in response to the shit that I say. Um, but certainly with respect to automation, stealing all of our jobs, again, I, I think that there is a great deal of just hysterical, absurd techno-pessimism, and we have seen pretty substantial waves of automation in the past historically where we've gone from sure. mm-hmm. 98% of the population working on farms to something like 2 or 3% of the population. Well, don't think there wasn't an Andrew today. Yang when there when, were. Track, when when the tractor manufacturers Absolutely. started putting tractors. Oh my God, we, we have 55 people that till the fields and now you're going to have one guy driving a tractor? Yeah, yeah. That's killing 54 jobs. Yeah. Come on. Look, I did a part of this uh, documentary. One of the other things was, was, was about... Uh, automation. And it's one of the most fascinating ones because it it is the easiest point to make as a politician because nobody questions. Right. right? Mm -hmm. It's the easiest. Everyone's just like, yeah, you know, the robots are going to take over. And ultimately it will be only robots and all of us. You know, be watching fucking Alf reruns and smoking Terrytons. Like, I don't know what the (laughs) thing is going to happen. So I went to one company um, who shall remain nameless, but I saw a cut of actually the film today. And this bit is actually in it um, that I was happy about. And I think that the expectation when I was going there was that this was going to be, oh, God, look at all these jobs that automation has killed. Right. I went there, I talked to the people and I talked to somebody and I had checked these numbers and everything. And they said, no, no, no. We actually at this location have hired like 15,000 people in the past like five years because of this automation. And it was totally fascinating. It was this thing that had very visibly destroyed jobs. Right. Very visibly. This is like, is a thing that people do that you see in films, right? And it's gone. 
And, you know, I, I went in there like, geez, I mean, this is crazy. It's also dangerous and blah, blah, blah. Nope. It's great. And yeah. everyone there was like, you know, and the only thing that people can do, have a pretty decent argument about this is that the new jobs are high skill jobs. Right. So these places that try this stuff do have to, you know, have training programs for people that are in like sort of middling jobs that are very, very with your hands, make work jobs, whatever they might be to work with robots, you know, and I went to a two years ago, I went to a Toyota plant in Southern Indiana and it was just all people that worked at various plants in the area that were now working with robotics and now working with the sort of assembly lines that were in a very different way. People can adjust to this stuff. It's not, it's, not, it's not terribly strange that they do. So here's the thing that really bothers me, and this is me putting on my Vanity Fair, let's focus on someone's personality hat for a second. All right. So um, I think it's also important to look at the person who's trying to put forward this idea in order to understand exactly what this person as a leader would view this issue as. And the thing that really pissed me off about Andrew Yang mm -hmm. is that he's decided to do this PR stunt where he gives $1,000 to a family every month in Iowa and New Hampshire as an example of how this universal basic income thing would play out and how their lives would magically change up through the primaries and that seems like it's so disingenuous like mm. congratulations you have given one family in both of these states twelve thousand dollars of course this one family that gets twelve thousand dollars every year is going to have their life magically improve there's nothing it has absolutely yeah, it yeah. is it does not reflect this is, this is not scientific sort. sir i'd be shocked if someone said like that twelve thousand dollars is really fucking ruined my life <laughs> <laughs> but like, that's, that i have is, so much taffy now that's all i eat like what what would it be the bad thing but like that is that, that is how he thinks it's going to work and he's going to uh -huh. use these two families as ways to boost his own platform and that's if that's the way he thinks that UBI is going to work, that's not Did a good Did you ask sign. him how he was going to pay for $12,000 a year for 335 million that people? Was that? That tax. Oh, I, think, I literally thought you said fat tax. No. Value, <laughs> value, like, that's value. Yeah, that's President Towns are fat yeah. people now. Yeah, no, value added tax, wow. which, is, which is great because now you have this super efficient entitlement, which is very easy to increase, and a VAT yeah. tax, which is very straightforward, easy to increase, and hard to avoid. I mean, who is really going to pay the price for that VAT tax? Yeah. Low income folks. Yeah. Like they're yeah. the ones who will really pay it. Yeah. Um it's 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 quite bad. Um and I, I think with But did with you the, enjoy your interview with him? I think Andrew's a nice guy. Yeah. I think he didn't run from the tough questions. I don't think he always had great answers and response, but he was in the room and he's talking to me. I, I will say that I I liked him more that day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Subsequently, however, I've watched him on Twitter and just kind of seen the things that he's posting. And and again, it's the hysteria that he seems intent on trying to stir up is frustrating to me. When I see the video of like the actual Boston Dynamics robot, like walking around a warehouse and it's juxtaposed against a, a video of someone working in the Amazon factory uh, or Amazon warehouse, there is no possible way that in the next 10 years, employees in the Amazon warehouse will be replaced by Boston I, yeah, Dynamics but I'm robots. Confused. It's it's an absurd, ridiculous, hysterical argument. Sure, but aren't Amazon jobs <laughs> shitty jobs that we don't want? Yeah. I well, mean, in New York, mm, we but that's just to get it. rid of them. But that's just it. They're not. Yeah. Amazon has a minimum, a minimum wage of $15 an hour. Yeah. Amazon is one of the best employers in the country. You have to wear a and they're, diaper. And they're hiring yeah. more yeah. people, not fewer. Yeah. It's very difficult for us with our limited imaginations and our limited experience to know what the future is going to look like. It is rather easy to imagine that there will be 
brilliant innovations and that AI will take off like a rocket ship and be able to do all kinds of magical things. We, we, our limited imaginations allow us to make sort of presumptions in that direction where we're just too generous with our expectations. But for whatever reason, in the opposite direction, our limited imaginations also make it difficult for us to imagine what kind of jobs would be created in this alternative future. As I mentioned to Andrew, every single job I've had in my adult life, every single one is a job that could not have existed in a meaningful sense 40 odd years ago. It's and it's mm-hmm. simply true, and I suspect that it will be as true, if not more true, twenty or thirty years. The, from now. Like the juxtaposition of the the robot on the factory floor, and then somebody who's supposedly really miserable, you know, schlepping around the Amazon factory, is that you know, I why at what point do you stop impeding innovation? That's the question. Is that if you put it upon yourself to say, we actually have to stop this robot future, you're going to have to pick and choose what innovations are allowed, right? So, I mean, if you're a local politician in 1992, do you go over to the single factory? (laughs) 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 Producing cassette singles like we need to, these are jobs, CDs are coming and everyone's going to buy them and these guys are going to be out of a job and I want to choose this technology, this shitty outdated technology that gives us substandard audio quality in favor of the one that's that's great. I mean, because what what you say at that point is like you just have to accept that this stuff is going to exist you can't legislate it away i mean what are you gonna do i mean robot taxes etc it's not it's not going to work if you're talking about offshoring now good mm-hmm. god imagine when you start larding the company that's efficiently making x y or z in a factory in your district and people whose factories in those districts, they're going to argue this stuff they're going to yeah. fight this stuff the idea that this is a simple thing robots are bad they're taking your job we're going to tax them away it's going to save our jobs what are you going to do with that money we're going to tax the robots and give it to people what are we going to create jobs that don't really exist anymore for them? I don't quite understand the long-term goal of people that are standing athwart technology yelling stop. I love yeah. the fact that in New York, so they, they passed a $15 minimum wage in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of uh, uh, comp- uh, restaurants and such, McDonald's is, mm-hmm. is uh, chief among them. Have you tried to go to McDonald's? You, you, your kid's not old enough. Camille, um, but uh, mm-hmm. <coughs> Anthony. Kids in New York don't, don't go to McDonald's. <laughs> More Shake Shack family. Over yeah, 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 yeah. But that's as low as Anthony. Will go. Toys, Fancy. come on, the yeah. toys. Uh, they they come in, but it's all like uh, learning it, a lot it, about your parenting this this evening, Matt. Uh, it's all combination. Uh, it's all robot <laughs> like. Uh, you, you yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they have the ATM. Thing. It's yeah. terrible, and yeah. so now New York politicians have noticed that employment in the restaurant sector has been going down, and so hmm. they're going to try to either punish <laughs> companies. <laughs> For firing yeah. or not hiring yeah. these uh, these people, or like uh, try to find a way. It's like it's every New York airport too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you order food. Oh my god! Yeah. Yeah. There are yeah. no humans at Fight? the airport. No, anymore. thank God. This is the thing that people don't. <laughs> this is the thing that people don't consider when there's these. And this is a, I, I'm sorry, dear listeners that are not from this repulsive city, but this is a very New York centric thing. Is that it's Uber. And the, the sort of McDonald's thing, I hear conversations about both of them of that, you know, oh, my God, these people killing themselves because the medallions aren't worth any money and they're not getting any money from driving yellow cabs anymore. It's like, you know what, just change. It's like, oh, they can't because they have criminal records. That's usually why they can't. <laughs> um, There's a conversation, by the way, at the airport last night, one in the morning, all these people who come up, you know, it's illegal and they try to get you to yeah. like, yo, you want a cab, you want a cab. And my producer's like, why don't they just drive an Uber? And it's like, because they got a hoopty out front and they got like a rap sheet that you wouldn't even believe. <laughs> so that's obviously why you want to get in their car but the funny thing is is that they don't think about the consumer ever it's just this kind of 
sort of airy fairy thing is that, you know, from I think progressives are pretty interesting on this in New York when it comes to Uber, especially uh, there's a couple people I'm thinking of in particular who made the argument in the past that Uber is the best thing for like young black men that couldn't get a cab to the Bronx or disabled people. or disabled people that now can. Money's paid up front. It's on a credit card. You got ratings and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And the idea that Danny Glover, remember he used to that protest in front of the TLC, like maybe 15, 20 years ago, of saying there's racism in the cab industry. And there, that's a totally different issue. But they don't realize that it's actually better for consumers. And the same thing is true mm -hmm. with McDonald's. Have you ever, anyone here, you fucking quinoa eating motherfuckers, have you ever been to McDonald's in New York that is staffed by humans? You have. Yes. Yeah, sure. Have you interacted with those humans? <laughs> yes. Have you had a nice interaction with any of those humans? <laughs> yes. yes. What well, is wrong with you? You're lying. There is you a McDonald's. Lying. There's a McDonald's around the corner from my house that I go the, to on a West, regular basis. There's like a West and they're Village nice. McDonald's. It's great. The woman who manages Belgium, like, no. The, the McDonald's I go to are literally people that want to cut you. They're like looking at you. It's like the jets and the sharks, like fucking snapping. They're ready to wow. come after me. I don't want to, but I don't want to ruin this for you but I, I do feel like it's, it's better it's with an ATM mention, but it's important to mention that while ATMs were introduced there yeah. was a great deal of concern that ATM would ATMs would destroy banking jobs I'm sorry ATM machines ATM Thank machines you. Right. <laughs> would yeah. destroy jobs the fact is that there are more bank tellers subsequent to the introduction of ATMs is that In fact, true yes mm -hmm. bank branches continue to open adding more employees one of the really interesting things about innovations like these is when these technologies are introduced, they often find ways to stir greater production, yes. greater volumes of sales, lowering prices, giving the people who were working at jobs that were less satisfying, perhaps greater opportunity to use their human ingenuity, et cetera, et cetera, to make life better for consumers. Oh, is, I think that, that's is that true. how you get, is that how you have now banks that have like people who will help you buy mortgages? And Relationship managers. Yes. Yeah. 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 A lot it's, of, a lot yeah. of that was, it was introduced and was expanded upon after the ATM was introduced, which again, people were terrified of. People have always been terrified sure. of these things. People have always been wrong when it, they've made it, bold it's, predictions, it's, uh, in, including true. John Maynard Keynes, yes, who wrote the economic possibilities for our grandchildren. And his prediction at the time was that his grandchildren would only work something like 14 or 15 hours a day because they would it's probably true. So much money bastards. and everything would be fine. Uh, a day or a week. Um, turns, out, turns out not to be true. Someone went and tracked down, not his children because he didn't have any, but some of his sister's children yeah. who both work very, very hard, like most people, sometimes 40 and 50 hours a week. And the people who actually work the most are high income earners in the top 1%. Yeah. Why? Because so like Camille Foster. complicated economic stuff but, that I'm but, not going to get no, into no, right I think, now. I think that income it, effect, substitution effect. Go look it up on Google. But even in the most basic sense that if you don't use economic terms like that, <laughs> is that what people don't often realize is that these things of automation, for instance, or um, chain stores, another great example of this, is they create market opportunities. Yeah. People think it's like, oh, it just comes in and it, it, it steamrolls everyone. And people want a kind of boutique service. They don't, they, they, they don't like this sort of like impersonal, huge stores. And all of a sudden, you know, small things do end up popping up. Or for instance, a good example of this is a number of people who complained, remember the complaints, because you don't hear these very much anymore, of outsourcing of call centers of like, I talk to people, I can't even understand right. them. They're like, their name is Joe. And they're like in Chennai. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, it's, it's, and it became difficult 
So people, I mean, I've seen the advertisements like our call centers are in the U.S. Utah. And not, and, yeah, are in Utah. Utah. And it's not because they're horrible nativists or they're appealing to people's sort of, you know, nationalist instincts. They're like, okay, it, it, it was cheaper, but it didn't work that well. And so the, 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 the idea that everything that goes overseas or becomes an enormous corporate, you know, behemoth or becomes a chain store is going to be the thing that we live with forever is untrue. It is verifiably untrue. I actually wrote about this for, for, for the magazine. Before we uh, leave yeah. the subject forever yeah. um, and maybe launch into the actual uh, program, um, <laughs> the question. Are we, wait, should we be recording? We, we yeah. are recording. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Should. I want to know, since we've already done Andrew Yang and since we don't ever see each other, oh. um, mostly out of yeah, mutual yeah. dislike, but um, who's the next uh, presidential candidate? On the who, fifth who we bring into yeah, the yeah. We, we, we're, we're in talks. Yeah, who can we actually convince to Mike come down Gravel. here? Mike Gravel. Gravel's up there. Uh, does anyone know how to uh, uh, oh, but, pronounce? But boy, yeah, but, but <laughs> don't, don't do it. Don't wow. do that. That's so Mika Brzezinski. But, but, but that was that was actually just a mistake. Just for the record. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that like was that, actually not. I swear. Ask, ask I swear in, in my life. I know that was actually just a mistake. No who speaks Norwegian? What you should do. What you should do is pretend that this is a high-minded literature discussion podcast that's true and be like we're gonna come in here and like talk about god what's the name of that one norwegian guy who wrote about call his... over canal scarred yes canal yes. scarred yes. yeah yes. book five yeah oh, there is a really Morning great interview of, 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 um, no there's a great interview of him on Ed, youtube if you look at it it's one of the so first one that comes up uh, so uh, just to help you out uh because insider actually has published a 2020 pronunciation guide wow uh, <laughs> boot edge edge but it's the boot is the uh, is yeah. the, what, what is the etymology of Buttigieg? Uh Maltese, I believe. Maltese, because oh, his father's dear. a Maltese immigrant. So perhaps hmm. he's. Uh, Maltese you, look, you look afraid. From somewhere else yeah. 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 Stimulated. Are you afraid? It's like a Dan Brown novel. I don't know. He's probably got a fucking scar on his back, like a like a cross. He's like he's kind of he's gonna infiltrate. He's a knight. He's a knight. He's a knight Templar. So he's at the top of the list, clearly. Yeah, exactly. Marianne Williamson, I presume. Is I don't, oh yeah, she's. Oh, we should have her. I wrote a column about her a long time ago. The Daily Beast about how she's a complete crackpot. Did she, did she make it into the debates? One time, uh, 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 she she will make it into the debates, and one time in, one time Independence guest. Huh. Was she? Uh, yes. When really? she, during her failed congressional run, we had her on as a guest. I totally and her PR all people were very upset with me. Now she'll never that. be on the show. How can you forget yeah. her? Yeah. Wow. Well, she probably won't come after that. Apparently. Well, maybe we should talk Bad about the rest spirits. of the 2020 Democratic primary field. And, and, and I will say, Seriously? I would be happy if we didn't have any of those people because I would just like to ignore all of this. Until I'd be happy not to talk about it. We don't know. We don't. None of it makes. Yeah, it what, matters what is there now? to say. It's nothing. Nothing well, matters. I mean, Cory Booker is totally dating Rosario Dawson, and he's made. In fact, get hetero married at the. Sorry, <laughs> is that inappropriate to say? What did you say? He may, in fact, get hetero married at the White you, House. What, I'm sorry. What was the he word? Preceded married. That. Oh yeah. I said okay. hetero married. Yeah. There, I, is that just, weird? No. I mean, what is his? What is his goal? Is does that, he think that the? Does he think that America wants like a royal wedding? Well, yeah, obviously. Yeah. To Rosario Dawson, yeah. I totally believe that. Is that a royal wedding? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think royal so. Royal esque wedding. I'm sorry. We don't, we don't so. we don't we don't like kings here in America. I mean, yeah. th there's we Elizabeth. We don't like kings. In there's yeah, Elizabeth Warren who has the bold plan to break up all of the tech companies who give people stuff for free. Generally, have a great reputation with consumers, mm -hmm. with the exception of Facebook, who's gotten into a lot of trouble. But as I mentioned, Amazon pays like fifteen dollars an hour. I, I mean, these are some of the best employers in the country who pay some of the highest wages in the country. Employ hundreds of thousands of people and she wants to break them up as apparently a gift to china 
to her, perhaps make the United States less innovative. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little carried away. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but but yeah. Elizabeth Warren has a lot of other great ideas. Also, reparations for black people, which Anthony Fisher is a huge fan How of. How much, by the, the way, would you get? <laughs> I have no opinions. As a black person who says he's not black, but <laughs> how much? Okay. I, Do you I, have to I, say I, that you're black wait, to wait, receive it? Wait, 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 wait. I, I have a good works. idea. I don't know how it works. There are We're gonna have four a pit, people a at this table. Uh-huh. Three of whom Five. are honky. No, uh, other than Camille. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Are you three fifths in Yeah. I was literally about wow. to make that joke. And wow. you, know, you know what I did? I stopped myself. <laughs> you didn't. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh my God. Wow. Jesus. We should call this Camille. the three fifths color. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Wow. And by the way, also thought wow. about it, just decided against it. Wow. Yeah. I'm the only one who right. t- takes care on this thing. I think that's a good idea. I think. Well, that, I think, I think that sounds like I a good compromise. That's exactly. Oh my God, poor Tina! Right. Again, I'm, a good job. Conte Nash, please don't fire me. I am, I am, I am my resume right Noah, now. As Noah Rothman, I think it was pointed yeah, out on MSNBC geez. this yeah. week to to applause for many people. The the three fifths, you know, wasn't a compromise that came about because they thought that the slaves didn't matter; that they were only three fifths of a man. It was to stop the slave owning states who were most interested in preserving that awful institution from having these people who were held in bondage count towards their representative power that is true. in the legislature. Mm. I think it's an interesting point that mm-hmm. most people aren't aware of. It's also something that I can't <laughs> imagine the reaction on that panel. And I'm assuming oh, yeah, that, was, that was a great day for Noah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It like, doesn't matter if it's true. That's yeah. a hate fact right there. So what, you, so what you're saying is you like the 350. Yeah, yeah. You think, yeah, you, think yeah. you wish it was still the same way. <laughs> yeah. Which is yeah. totally what I thought. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not talking to him Well, anymore. the thing that I was talking about before I was so rudely interrupted by fucking Orville right. Faubus over right. here. When you, you were saying <laughs> I was three fifths of a person. The Orville Faubus reference that you're Googling right now is pointing out. Check the site later. Um, I was going to say uh-huh. that there are four other people at this table, three of whom are pasty honkies, <laughs> and then we have the, I uh, presumably the daughter of Vietnamese immigrants. Is Very that? much so, yes. Very much so, yeah. <laughs> yes, um, we had nothing to do with this slavery nonsense. No, uh-huh. no, yeah. who does have a South Vietnamese flag tattooed on her dip- forearm? Just so you know, <laughs> um, I'm dressed like a South Vietnamese flag. I just realized. <laughs> you really yeah, there's yellow, red. Yeah, there you go. Um, what, because you hate Mm. being identified as black and self-identifying as black, can we have your money (laughs) when you, when Elizabeth Warren cuts you a check and you get, how much are you going to get? Uh, we have to have a study. There's going to be a, a but by the way, the study is that, that your fucking parents are Jamaican. Precisely, you get right. nothing. Yeah. Well, Make your claim to the one, British man. One hopes that they don't study this too long. Yeah, exactly. There'll be all sorts of things that exactly. they do. That's, that's, that's like, a big loser for so you, many buddy. Problems. Yeah, that's like, right. Is, is Barack Obama going to get sort of half the money? Does he get oh, no wow. money? What? How does this work? Fair question. Because his dad is from Africa, and There's we a do massive... know that many Africans participated in this land. Oh. I imagine that 23 and Me is going to start hiring some lobbyists. Yeah, mm. I would imagine. Oh, I mean, wow. this is this is a great yes. boon to yeah. slavery in me. I would yeah, imagine. this is this is totally a stupid, worthless idea. Yeah. Um, but what else is happening? Uh, but plenty of people support it in some way, shape, or form. At least support studying it. Um, one person who sort of kind of supports it, as I understand it, Matt, he at least wants to take a look at this. Is Beto? I don't know if he. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, 
Thank you. Getting closer to the yeah, mic. We're, a, we're doing a radio show now. <laughs> a nap from the microphone. Um, he uh, is is the master of saying, as he did with the uh, the green new whatever mm-hmm. in uh, Nancy Pelosi's words, of saying like, you know, that's a great aspiration, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, it's it's currently the most interesting thing to look at, um, and then. When it comes down to time for uh, a person to say, this is what I sign up for, he steps back a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, which is part of the frustrations and uh, and also kind of interesting aspect of this weird uh, creature. I was just up with him in New Hampshire on Tuesday and watched his rap in person um, for the first time. I've interviewed him in the past about stuff. Um, he There's a... Andrew, I always call him Shitkinski, and <laughs> it's not nice, uh, but it's easier to pronounce his actual name. Uh, he had a, a, a Senor K file. Yeah, K yeah. file. It's Kaczynski, right? Kaczynski. It's uh, just like the Unabomber. Yeah, yeah but see, again, like well, it's, you it's, differentiate it's, by saying Kaczynski to try yeah, to make it more yeah. Polish. Uh, he had a and less homicidal. He had a big reveal piece Morty. on Tuesday, saying, you know. Uh, Essentially, my God, in 2012, this person said that $16 trillion of, uh, of debt and $1 trillion in annual deficits is a big problem. And maybe we should think about, I don't know, extending the age of uh, uh, Social Security recipients right. by a couple of years. Like, holy crap. And uh, um, and it was presented as this, uh, this kind of uh, horrible thing, almost um, as horrible as Bernie Sanders – who uh, uh, Shitkinski had uh, uh, revealed the previous week um, was saying we should seriously <laughs> Why nationalize. Are you needlessly insulting Andrew it's, Kaczynski. It's easier for me it's to pronounce. It's really not right. Man. I like that. No, I, I like, I like you, Andrew. Guy. I mean, it's not, so, it's not a he's a great guy and he's a great reporter. I'm publicizing his work on a, on, a, on, a, on a. Yeah, I'm sure he needs your shit in his name. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, I'm going to go look that guy up. Shitkinski. You can call me Shit Welch. It's totally cool. You made us all clutch pearls. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> At any rate, um, no, like he did a thing about Bernie Sanders and, and his interviews and uh, policy statements in the 70s, the week before that was all talking about Bernie was saying, we need to uh, uh, I, I, uh, we need to have uh, the, the, the major means of production um, uh, nationalized for the workers, like pure socialism stuff in 1976. So it was almost presented in, the, in a similar way. Like, my God, Beto seven years ago said this. Um, and so what he does in his. Uh, contemporaneous kind of uh, discussions about policy is that he tries really hard to vagify it. So like, it's all about aspirations. We're all going to get there to Medicare for all. But when you drill down into what he's actually proposing, it isn't Medicare for all at all. Mm -hmm. Um, He's saying that everyone can keep their plan. Peter Suderman uh, has a great post at uh, at, uh, reason uh, dot com about this right now. Um, I think it's called Medicare for America or something like that. Uh, Now, but it's basically if you don't like your plan, you can uh, enroll in, into Medicare, which is much different than Medicare for all. And when he right. presents it, he says, and you know what? This is going to cost trillions of dollars, and that's a problem. He still talks about, as he did when I saw him, um, that the $22 trillion now that we have of debt is a problem. The trillion-dollar deficits is a problem. So he's this blue dog uh, Democrat, new Democrat coalition guy, but he's trying to sell himself as kind of dreamboat on 
the bar table guy, um, which totally works w- for a lot of people, um, and who is vague about a lot of uh, these kind of aspirations. Because when you get down into the nitty gritty of what he is proposing, it is far to the right of Planet Bernie and all those uh, and all of those people. Uh, and so he's like trying to navigate all those kind of things. And so I don't think that he's going to actually uh, come out with pro reparations at the end of the day. I think he's going to say like, hmm, that's really interesting. We should all talk about it. It's very important. Racism is bad mm-hmm. um, without actually coming uh, forward with his own reparations proposal. Really- yeah, that's probably going to be the case, too. I mean, the entire point of Beto is that he is kind of the candidate that Wall Street is the most okay with right now. Sure, he has a giant grassroots following, but he also has a bit of a comfort level among the moneyed class that probably would have gone to Bloomberg or possibly Biden. Do you think think more than Biden or like what's your sense of that? They would happily back Beto if Biden didn't jump in. And yes, we all know that Biden's saying he's going to jump in, but like, I don't know, for God's sakes, man, just do it already. Um, but yeah, I think honestly that Beto is not really proposing the type of radical investment that, uh, say, anyone running to join the sweet embrace of AOC is trying to push. Like his strength is that he is pro that he has a lot of uh, background on immigration reform. He is incredibly good at fundraising. He's got this charisma to him. Obviously, I think a lot of his appeal is his charisma. Mm. But he is really good at trying to figure out how to position himself as an anti-Trump person who is not going to completely overhaul the system. He's going to make nods to it, yes, but he's not going to, I don't know, put out a giant policy paper that Elizabeth Warren is. He'll like look at how she's doing. He'll probably recalibrate his positions to reflect in a certain way what she is proposing, but he's he I think his entire Stance's electability at this point. It's not. I love how much the Bernie Bros hate his guts. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. Well, the, it, this is their time. It mm-hmm. is absolutely beautiful it, because, yeah, yeah. in part, um, on several issues, he's way out in front of Bernie from a left point of view. Right? Like he's a guy who came to prominence. We wouldn't know who he was if he wasn't advocating for the legalization of marijuana in 2009. Like there weren't any Democratic politicians talking about this. Ten years ago, he was one of Kamala them. Harris was. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Everyone she, knows she, she like would almost certainly say. She would almost certainly note, say she was. Camille sarcasm, right there. <laughs> so, Bookmark it. That's the bingo so button right there. Baffling. <laughs> so baffling. Like in sarcasm, you think like different tone. Well, it made a different face. inflection. You, you yeah, but you're on tell. the fucking radio, dude. It's not a yeah. radio. What are you, what are you guys like, gonna start like Joe Roganing in this? We've talked about it. Need to do it soon enough. But the funny thing about Beto is that I did. I went to one of these Beto. Things in Manhattan during his campaign, uh, his previous campaign, against this fundraising. Yeah. And you realize they're all basically Bernie people. And they were so excited about him. And he was going to come from behind and he was going to show us that in Texas you could you could elect a guy like Beto against somebody like Ted Cruz. And that you re- was the entire I, point. It was the entire point. But the, the, the amazing thing about it, though, is these people that were hyperventilating about Beto, none of whom support him now. He was I mean, the fact that he was running against Ted Cruz was the thing. That was it. Full yeah. stop. If they had the choice of Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, somebody to the left, um, significantly to the left of him, they're going to take it. They don't give a shit about Beto now. He was the anti Ted Cruz. And I think Beto thought that enthusiasm was something that it wasn't. 
that it was beyond the just the Ted Cruz thing. That it was oh actually- my god, I'm, yes. I'm. I think I remember reading. I forget who said this, but they were pointing out the differences between like the other also rans in states where they where the Democrats almost flipped it, like Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum, and they went, these two people are looking to build a stronger voting coalition sure. that is pro Democrat and will flip the state eventually. And Beto decided he's going to run for president. Like that is a mm-hmm. huge gulf of consideration. Yeah. Are you sense. are you going to white privilege? I, I hear it. It's coming. Go to what? White, going going white. to white no, there's, privilege. Oh, yeah, no, that's, no. no, because no, that's but that's a serious. Uh, I've I've seen that a lot. Like mm-hmm. uh, of uh, hey, there's a big difference between Stacey Abrams's uh, kind of a reaction to her loss mm-hmm. and Beto's and. Shrug emoji, well, white what, privilege. What, what, wasn't hers that I didn't lose? That was, <laughs> yeah, kind of. That was kind of her reaction. She had a better argument. Oh, yeah, a better argument than he did. But yeah, yeah, but I don't think he made that argument. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. Like, here's why I think maybe there's white privilege involved, but I think more of it has to do with the fact that Beto was not as involved in the community organizing aspect as Stacey Abrams or Andrew Gillum was. Like, they have been activists they've been activists in their respective states for generations they've been like elected officials trying to rally votes for a while beto is just kind of like i'm gonna run for the senate hey yeah 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 well but i think at the same time is that i don't know um that americans really want on a national level an activist i think i I think bernie sanders didn't never came across as an activist no this is an avuncular nutbag guy from Vermont who never lost his New York accent. No, I mean, right? like, that's, that's and, what like, I'm saying. When people seem like activists, it, it, it kind of, people have allergic reactions to that, I think. Oh, I mean, that's the I thing. Certainly that, I mean, that's, I think, I honestly think that's <laughs> the reason. Knows that. I think that's the reason, though, that those are the tasks that they decided to take after their um, almost victories. Like, yeah. he just kind of caught this moment and, th- and is thinking, okay, I'm going to see how much lift I can get off of this. And these guys mm-hmm. are like, all right, no, I see exactly what happened here. I'm going to start, like, building a giant voter registration base. Mm-hmm. So t- I have to ask you, what did you think of that uh, that cover of Beto? Are one- you talking about the one in my magazine? Yeah. 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 Oh, he was born born to do this. Cowboy thing. Well, he says, Vanity Fair didn't say that. No, he said that. He He 100% said that. Literally, what we did was. I mean, talk about privilege. I mean, that's not privilege. It's a pompous asshole. (laughs) (laughs) He could be white or it doesn't matter. He's just a pompous jerk. I didn't say anything about whiteness. Oh, my God. Um, To the people recording this. (laughs) Navigate. Navigate. You can do it. You you can say no comment. Okay, okay, full on no comment. But I have so many comments I want to. Make. Yeah. <laughs> here's here's what Fair we do enough. sometimes. Keep giving her the whiskey. Here's what we do sometimes. Mackenzie yeah. drink. Mackenzie yeah. bourbon. Yeah. She's gonna set up a Patreon, and you can send her ten dollars, and she'll send you the comment as an audio <laughs> as a voice note. Never on her if iPhone. If you pay us, I... we can cover some insurance for our guests. Yeah. 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 I will just point out uh, mm-hmm. uh, here. Oh, um, so I will say this. I will say this on behalf of Vanity Fair. <laughs> Beto O'Rourke gave us this story. Our reporter literally saw him on his front porch one day and walked up to him and said, hello, I am a reporter with Vanity Fair. And Beto invited him into his house. Wow. And you can take what you want from that. Wow, he's an yeah. open book. He's an yeah. Avenatti. Uh, <laughs> he's Avenattiing. Is that is that a word? Look, honestly, if you had a chance to follow fucking Beto O'Rourke and yeah. you had Annie Leibovitz on payroll, would you not? Would yeah. you not send Annie Leibovitz after him? Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. That's a free marketing work, man. Yeah, maybe. 
We'll see. Don't we'll see. Free we'll market shame. Well, you can, <laughs> you can give us the free market argument when you come back next with the newsstand sales. <laughs> then we'll see. Then we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I will say this about uh, about Beto and um, some of his uh, foreign policy views, mm. or at least about his uh, fight with the Bernie Bros, which is uh, and and even the Tulsi Bros who are out there, mm. um, which is that he was against Iraq. He was against Libya in real time. Uh, he's against the authorization of the use of force as that's been on the books since forever. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been a pretty principled critic of American uh, interventionism abroad and uh, was on the uh, Veterans Affairs uh, Committee. And he's kind of and speaks about it at every single stop, including in the terms of how this adds to the deficit, which he's still in 2019 says is a problem, which makes basically him and Klob and not, not anyone else in the Democratic uh, field uh, talk about this. It's interesting to note that um, because uh, a lot of the people who support Bernie are like, oh, he's great on foreign policy and all these sort of like, you know, centrist Clinton Democrats are not. Um, O'Rourke is, is actually in their camp in many respects um, and never really uh, gets discussed in that uh, in that sense, um, which is interesting. And the other, other thing I would say is that um, the most consistent critique that you hear uh, or sniping that you hear among the David Sirotas of the world who just got hired a, by Yay! Bernie Sanders. Speaking to, of Mark Weisbrot. To yeah, be his yeah, tweeter exactly. in chief or something like that. He's the like dumb that. version of Mark Weisbrot. Beto, uh, uh, you know, raised $81 million in a Senate campaign. It's just a mm-hmm. staggering, unprecedented sum of money. From across the country. From across the country. A lot from Brooklyn, from what I can yeah. tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, where, you know, he played in a band, was was a furry and such. But uh, <laughs> I mean, can we stop right now and say that Beto Rourke was not in a punk band? Can we just clarify that? Was it, so I, I was going to ask you about this. Yeah. Have you listened right. to the music? Uh, I heard a <laughs> sample. They, they just look at them. They're not a punk band. They're like a '90s like indie rock band. There's so like band. flaming punk, lips. Yeah, yeah. It's punk bands. What you call them when you work in New York in the media and you don't know anything. About it, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, the only thing was in a punk band that was. Yeah, like, yeah he was not a punk band. So anyway, it was Sorry. like when they. It was like people, I mean, people, least, people were getting really like, upset about Eagles of Death Metal being called a metal band when they weren't. Yeah, a metal they're, band. De- well, they're not. A, they're yeah, definitely I mean, not a metal band. I don't. Like, I mean, the bigger issues are play during a massacre, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, situation. You know when I my final comment on on the the 2020 race and Beto and all this stuff is that it's really fucking boring. I just Tell find me. it all so boring. Yeah, I, nothing's happening. Everyone's flexing and saying things. Nothing matters. No one cares. People will come and go. Who gives a shit? Are you just waiting for the death rounds of like September through January? Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Even then, I I'm barely interested. But who are you rooting to lose? Like hardest. America. Yeah. Besides America's Kamala got, Harris. America I mean. always loses yeah. hardest. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at, I, I really, I think it's the Massachusetts in me. And I really don't like Elizabeth Warren. And it's not even a policy-based thing. It's mostly misogyny? It's, uh, um, slightly. No, come on, come on. No, I'm, it's, I'm it's, Pelosi it's, clapping towards him right now. No, it is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that, like the, it's just like doing the, the alligator impression. Um, no, it's just because like that, a person like that should not be representing Massachusetts. Honestly, like I, wow. like Barney who Frank. Are you, who are you looking for? Barney like Frank, Bar- if you want a liberal. Irish 
Alcoholic? Yeah. Well, I mean, well, one takes care of the other. Oh, yeah. One beer. One beer. That will not please the men. Would you like a beer? Barney Frank, who I have plenty of disagreements with, but there's a lot to be said. woman to shut up? Yes. Is that what it hurt? Is that not allowed? I'm for equality here. Yeah, well. I'm going to play any games. I just want a Barney Frank type figure. I appreciate that. Who's a full-on mass hole. He's super funny. Really, really smart. Actually, quite charismatic. I don't agree with him on a lot. He's very good on gambling, by the mm-hmm. way. He was always really weird. On he was who, like, who was the, like, who but called I liked, him Barney I liked, Fag? Who called? Oh, him uh, who was that? The wow, did that. someone do that? Yes. Yeah, wow. uh, no, that was like that was a famous <laughs> the middle of his career. Wait, 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 I don't want to say the wrong thing. Who from, I was going to say? Massachusetts. And like, uh, no, it was. Um, and he was awesome about it. Dick like, Army. Dick Army. Yeah, yeah. Literally, that's what I thought. But my name is Dick Army. I'm going to call you Barney Fag. And by the Dick Army. Was you know uh, in the leadership of uh, yeah. the the House uh, Republican Caucus? I thought yes. you were going to say Dick Army is a dick. That's what I thought yeah. you were going for. That's kind of evident. No. Yeah, uh, she's an, well, Dick Army. Dick Army was was, 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 was one of those Republicans who turned on the Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. he was. Yeah, uh, and and he actually, uh, I you know, whatever. I mean, it happens to be the 16th anniversary of the beginning of the Iraq War, and I do remember Dick Army like actually uh, emoting tears while he was voting for the war. Like mm. you could tell that he actually was struggling with it. So but brave. I, yeah. I know. So I know. Brave. I know. I know. It's it's a it's a Dick Army memory. Whatever. You can cut it. Cool. You know who you know, you know who you know who cried more? The people who later that evening were bombed. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Just for the record. Wow. Wow. Jesus. Yeah. Struggling with hey, that decision. Hey, while hey, Moynihan I, was like fucking, yeah, bomb, yeah, hey, bomb hey. them all. I am just, it's a statement of fact. It's true. <laughs> I presume that person cried harder than Dick Harvey. That's all I'm saying. Listen, a lot of people, a lot of people got that wrong. Yeah. A lot of people got that wrong. A lot of people got that wrong. I think so everybody Camille and, and Moynihan. And yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, sure. Everyone in this room was right, even me, because I was like 11. <laughs> well, no, I, yeah. I got it wrong because I was listening to Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. Well, I don't. I mean, I'm just saying. Fish, where were oh, you? Oh. I got it wrong. Wow, I, I got it wrong. I was yeah. I was mad as hell. I was a New Yorker. I had some 9/11 experiences that I'm not going to get into, but yeah. I I was I, I was I was caught up in it at the time. Not that my voice mattered at all. I was a <laughs> union tech at a TV network that will go nameless, but I was uh, yeah. I was in favor at the time. I didn't stay wrong yeah. on that. Yeah, so. but it is, by the way, and I it's, don't want to open up a can of anything on this because You've it goes on forever. It. No, it's a, sing, a simple comment is that people do forget the kind of emotional context of the time mm-hmm. where in, in New York, I was in New York at the time, too. And um, yeah, I mean, you became a bit irrational about it. We actually, I think we met weeks yes. after 9-11. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, not long at a, mm-hmm. in a coffee shop. And, and you ran, embraced ran into in, in, in rage and, and horror. Yeah, yes, we did hard. terrible things. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. It's our fault. Yeah. I, yeah, but speaking of that's a transition in one way to something uh, that happened that we didn't talk about last week because yeah, we were right. not... We were not um, here. Well, it just it was one of those things that that kind of happened. I think the day after we recorded the last one, but um, the horror in New Zealand, mm-hmm. which uh, everybody has talked about, uh, and you know the details of which will be known to most everybody listening to this. But you know, fifty people dead at the hand of a racist psychopath from. Um, Australia, maybe not a psychopath, by the way, just, you know, an ordinary racist who decided he was not, I mean, it, it is, a, I think, a cop out a lot of times to say these people are crazy, and went out and killed um, a lot of people, and then actually live streamed it in a very Al-Qaeda-like thing, by the way, to film it and live stream it, and um, it's horrifying in every way. There's not a lot to say about that, 
mm-hmm. you know, but there, I think there's probably something to say, probably all of us have something to say about this, is that in the, in the days after, it was precisely what you would expect. The first round is the thing that always goes uncommented on, is the obnoxious, I used to comment on this on Twitter all the time, I've just given up at this point, the obnoxious asshole blue check marks that come from every side of the aisle, every persuasion, every type of magazine or publication, start lecturing you on what to do. <laughs> hey, man, don't give this guy, like, stop telling me what to do, okay? Don't do this, don't do that, you know, wait for this, wait for that. It's like, okay, expert boy, sitting <laughs> in your fucking apartment on the Lower East Side, stop telling me what to do. This is the most annoying first instinct in this. The second round of this is blame, right? And it's depending on, you shut up if it's 9-11, you say after a couple of weeks, you say, why, why do they hate us? Uh, people might not recall this thing after 9-11, root causes theory. Oh, yes. What we did immediately to bring this upon ourselves. That was a, the incineration of 3,000 people on a single day. This is 50 people on a single day. Um, probably at scale, by the way, for the population that you have in New Zealand. Um, I don't suspect there were a lot of people immediately saying, what did we do to create this sort of monster? Mm-hmm. Right? And they shouldn't say that. That's, that's, absolutely, that's absolutely right. But it's only right coincidentally, because I think that that's often said when people blow themselves up or they do something in the name of, of um, they're opposed to American foreign policy, it becomes a sort of rational act. Right? If we didn't do this, they wouldn't do that. The new version of that is if you didn't write this, they wouldn't do that. So it's like this person is responsible because they have said this, you know, I mean, I mean, of course, the famous one that we saw that is laughable, but I actually did see people defending it. Um, these half-witted students that uh, attacked Chelsea Clinton while oh she God, came yeah. to a vigil and said, you know, you are responsible for this because you, you're, responsi- you're responsible for an Islamophobic um, massacre because you criticized a member of co- uh, a Congress for anti-Semitism. It's a kind of hard to get your head around that, but it's a, this this apportioning of blame, which happens very very quickly, and without it's it's kind of a scattershot thing because we want to score political points, but we do it in a way of virtue and of a big heart and to prevent it happening again. Where in fact, what you're doing is just base political point scoring and saying that well, this wouldn't have happened if these columnists didn't exist. Now, there's a million things to say about that, but the one that I don't think anyone really says is the presumption that only comes from journalists that we have that measure of power, that we talk to people in a way they read a column and they say, motherfucker, I'm going to go that much further than this person. So therefore, they're responsible. If they're within the confines of good taste, but they don't like X, Y, and they're kind of maybe even on the fringes of that, the sort of weirdos like Robert Spencer and these people, not Richard Spencer, Robert Spencer. Yes. And, they, and, and they, they, at that point, take that idea. So they, what, what happens is you start uh, scanning the manifesto. And this guy was actually quite clever about it. I don't want to give him any credit for anything. But he's got clever about the fact that he seeded his manifesto with ideas that he knew people would take. Like he pretended that he was a fan of Candace Owen. Right. The mm-hmm. absurd um, turning points halfwit who's you know, becoming like a, a like a professional conservative in her way. Mm-hmm. And there's like not, not becoming is is yeah. yeah. maybe maybe the president's that's, favorite commentator next to a diamond exact, silk. That's yes. right. That's right. Yeah. And uh but there is an indication in there for people, and apparently this is very common like 4chan, 8chan culture mm. of to say to give 
uh, props to for everything to turning points, which is like pro Israel, and these people are like neo Nazis basically. So that was you know in in a way this is a reaction to all of that. Um, uh, manifesto scouring for who's responsible. Right. It's idiotic to say that anyone is responsible if you find their name in a manifesto anyway. I was inspired by these views. 99%, this is the new video games, mm-hmm. by the way. No one who plays video games goes out and shoots everybody, but one guy does and he plays, you know, Call of Duty and it's Call of Duty's fault, right? No one else does, but this guy. Well, it was the trigger, et cetera. Now it's a column. Like you read a, read a column and then all of a sudden you grab your um, you know, AR-15 and you, you go kill innocent people praying. I mean, it, it, the absurdity of it should be apparent to anyone when you apply it to the other side, right? And by the say other side, I mean, just, I don't mean the other side, the opposite of this, which is, which is like, you know, an Islamist killing, for instance, no one would ever do this sort of thing. And I would, I would hope that they won't. It's right that they don't. But for some reason, we do here and say it is the responsibility of President Trump, who, you know, one has to do the throat clearing of, you know, he's an asshole and yeah, I mean, I think he's an Islamophobe, actually. And I think he's a, I think he's a Muslimophobe. I, I think Islamophobia is a wrong word for that. He, just, he doesn't like Muslims. I think that's pretty straightforward. It is. I don't think he actually has the intelligence I, to understand. I, I don't. The, I don't. The, yeah. I think the, he's, uh, I think in the most, of Islam. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the most basic way, he sees Muslims as a threat, as, you know, 1.6 billion people as a threat, which is, you know, racism in its most obvious form i mean it's not racism it's a belief system of course but there is he associates with uh, associates with the race obviously he's not banning people coming into the country from bosnia you know i mean it's kind of it's a very specific regional thing but this idea that people can be t- they can go over the edge by reading a column is something that is so crazy to me and the fact that i don't see pushing people pushing back on that is also crazy. It's it's baffling to me because t- to think that without that column, they wouldn't have done anything. So where does the first column come from? Where does the first Islamophobic or whatever you want to call it, column come from? Well, I would say this. This is in no way a defense of this or no way a justification for it. But what it is, is at its most base level is people who see things happening in the world and don't have the equipment to actually like adjudicate what's happening. They see things blowing up. In the Middle East. Ah, they're f- fucking animals over there. That's all they do. They're all Muslims. Oh, that's it. There you go. They're Muslims. The ones that flew into the terrorists, they're Muslims too. Oh, the one that, uh, Pentagon, Muslims too. Uh, Afghanistan, Muslims. And then the dumb mind starts putting this together. They don't need a column for this. They don't need some 800-word piece from some idiot who's writing on some website they've never heard of, right? Yeah. And then you see the other side of this, and the one final point of this is, is I saw this thing on, on Slade. Is it all white Australia? Did you see this thing? Mm-hmm. It's unbelievable. You get the headline of this up. Anthony will get it. It was like, um, all white Australians are responsible for this, or should, should take some measure of blame oh, wow. for this. Mm, and wow. this is in the headline. I said, this... I thought I saw this and didn't. No one realized it. So yeah, this is uh, the yeah. Tell me what the headline was. The Christchurch shootings should implicate all white Australians. Subhead: Shame and apology is not enough in confronting our country's virulent racism. I just imagine that reading that of like somebody in a police station. In like New South Wales, going, we're going to get an arrest warrant for uh, Carly Minogue. Uh, get one from Nicole Kidman. Can't believe it. Totally guilty. I mean, what? The bio of the writer is New York based writer and producer ah! covering tech, culture, and all things Australian. Yeah, and all things idiotic. But w- what do we say about Muslims when there's an act of terror? 
we say, let's not collectively blame them, which is the right thing to do, right? And or, then I turn, or we, or we say, I, call, it, a call it radical Islamic terror. I mean, and I see Slate, and it's like, you know what we really should be doing? Blaming Australians as a group. And I'm like, wait, what? Oh, oh. What's happening? What the hell is happening here? But anyway, that's no, my that, rant on that. We were talking but, about this before uh, we uh, press record, uh, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Sometimes is, I wish we had. <laughs> <laughs> which is that kind of like strange uh, balancing act between how we talk about, um, uh, you know, Islamic terror mm-hmm. versus white supremacist. Radical mm-hmm. Islamic terror. Thank you. Or like the, the whole. That was Camille's sarcasm, by the way. <laughs> the whole yen of, of like you have to. You have to call it radical Islamic terror. What was the, the, yeah, the yeah, exact yeah. That was, that was, yeah. That was President you, Trump. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't get that exact phrase, then you're an apologetic for it and this kind of stuff. And how strange and how the mirror images never really reflect on one another. Mm-hmm. Camille. Yeah. But, I mean, I mean it's, I it, it is also it's... true that, that we have underplayed white nationalist terrorism in this country. I mean, it, it does account for an enormous amount of terrorism in the past. It's, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, it's not rule of it's three the, anymore. It's the vast it's majority of political it's, violence. It's, it's, va- it's, it's, it's like 75% or something of the, the killings, the terrorist killings, the political killings. In the it's past actually way years. more of the killings of the violence itself. It's about 75%. So this is something that has to be paid attention to. The president um, is, as one would imagine, unwilling to criticize anybody who supports him. I think that's the difference in saying that he is a white nationalist or a Nazi or whatever. I'm not in any position to judge that and just say that he does things that I don't appreciate that vis-a-vis these people and he will not denounce them because he thinks they're supporting him and he just well, I, I so that's the best basic thing but it is but they are very fundamentally different things mm-hmm. is that there's we do not attack in this country people with bombers drones etc white nationalists and the reason we don't is because it's very diffuse, right? There's mm-hmm. the one here, one there. And when and so, by the way, no one has actually mentioned this, and I haven't seen anything about this. Three people were arrested that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What right. happened to the other two? I, Excellent yeah, question. Because the, 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 the first thing that. that I thought was what, what, what happens always in journalism, and I know that that there's this there's this printed out thing of what happens in a, in a, in a shooting or a tragedy that um, who, I think who was um, on the media that has one version of it. It's like there's never a second shooter, right? They're always there's looking for never. never a second shooter. This one, there were three. And my initial reaction to that was like, wow, okay, this happens sometimes. And we actually have a white nationalist cell, like a neo-Nazi cell that is operational and they've done it. And it's not going to precipitate more of these attacks because they never do. They don't have that kind of strength. But this is interesting and a problem and horrible. But that actually turns out to not have been the case, correct? I, I, again, I remember the initial reports saying four arrests. Yeah. And since yeah. then, just one person dragged into court. Yeah. I really don't know beyond that. Now, I think there's a mirror I, image of uh, – and, and sorry to, to step on you, but the – like the known wolf, as we uh, uh, discussed in the mm-hmm. Islamic terrorist kind of thing, and these white assholes uh, or whatever um, who like cross the line from 8chan LARPing to saying, okay, f- I'm, I'm going to have to get the gun and yeah. do this. Um, none of this really seems like an organized thing. It seems more like uh, people would try to organize or try to influence, um, but it's more – that a moment comes and an individual feels activated and they go. Uh, and that's really hard to deal with, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think that they are mirror images on themselves and it's really, really hard to 
combat it in any way. Mm-hmm. Here's, a, there's, here's the thing that I want to explore eventually, maybe in a longer article or whatever, but mm-hmm. that you bring up right now that I think is fascinating. The idea that the um, white nationalist violence that we see right now is all just like individuals popping up. Is there just something about the white nationalist movement and the alt-right that just prevents them from being able to coalesce into an organized like movement? I think there's actually one thing about this, and I don't know how widespread true such is. This is a theory. I don't want to get called out for this. But no, no, I I think that there's not actually a coherent ideology to a lot of this. I think that that kind of despondent thing is like when you notice the number of European converts that have gone fought for ISIS Mm. who are also former neo-Nazis is actually fairly large. Mm -hmm. You see it quite frequently is that, you know, he's a Danish guy. He was a Nazi. And then he becomes I mean, there's there is this type of nihilistic person Uh that. Mm -hmm is not united by this real ideology and the ideology is just a prop to get they, to they some, embrace all sorts yeah, of ridiculous, ridiculous radical things. outside of the that is also ideas. true with radical islam but it too. is true to an extent a lesser extent because there's more infrastructure and in sort of also state sponsored sure. i mean the saudis pay for to build salafist mosques right, and schools right, right. throughout Europe and the United States, et cetera. So there's a real infrastructure there that neo-Nazis don't have. Yeah. It mm-hmm. doesn't, again, it doesn't mean these people aren't dam- dangerous and they shouldn't be looked at. Like uh, law enforcement should be focusing on these people above all because in the U.S. we don't have the problem of Islamist terror despite the hyperventilating about it mm-hmm. like they do in Europe. It happened on 9 Of course it did. But after that, in Europe, you had the, the Madrid bombings uh, in what, 2003, 2005, you had 7-7 in... in um, in London. In London. And two days, three days after what happened in New Zealand, you had three people murdered on a tram yeah. in liberal, tolerant Amsterdam, or is it Utrecht, in the Netherlands. Well, there certainly have been. And we been, don't know if that guy's an Islamist, but uh, we're pretty sure that he is yeah, for, they, for, for a variety of And there variety. certainly have been subsequent attacks by people who are radical Islamic terrorists here in the United States. And, there and have. numerous attempts, obviously. There have. But I, but, I, think, but, you're, yeah. but I think you're right to, to differentiate in, in that way. Um, and I did want to say, and this comes up all of the time, but I think Eli actually had a, Eli Lake, our very good friend, mm. um, of over at Bloomberg had a piece um, on this topic that is worth reading. Um, but Eli, as as you just did, Moynihan, also sort of tagged the president. Um, yeah. And the, the insinuation that I hear all the time is that the president doesn't condemn these people and hasn't condemned these people. Um, it's certainly like a standard line. But 2017, Donald Trump, racism is evil. And those who cause violence in, in its name are criminals and thugs, including the KKK, neo-Nazis, white supremacists, and other hate groups that are repugnant to everything we hold dear as Americans. After Charlottesville, in that exact same speech, the one where he said on many sides, the president also says, we remember this truth, no matter our color, creed, religion, or political party, we are all Americans first. We love our country. We love our God. It's amazing to me, to to the extent white supremacists and white nationalists and neo-Nazis are fine with that language to the extent they hear hear the president say that and then say, wow, he's standing up for us. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know much about neo-Nazis. I think there is a convenient narrative about the president that, quite frankly, exists despite the fact that the president has come out and talked I, about I don't and know. Part of no. the reason, whoa, well, let me finish, okay, okay, please. Okay. Thank you very much. And part of the reason why the president doesn't doesn't come out and vociferously overpronounce I need to say again that I hate white supremacists is because the insinuation here is that the president is in fact responsible for the surge of white nationalist violence that the president is a part of it and 
one can understand why you not might not be interested in constantly defending yourself from those assaults. The president, when he said the many sides thing, we condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred, bigotry and violence on many sides, on many sides. It's been going on for a long time in our country, not Donald Trump, not Barack Obama. This has been going on for a long, long time. Was he trying so to excuse was he trying to excuse <laughs> white nationalist violence or was he trying to distance himself from an attack which was almost certainly, as we all know, likely to be laid at his feet. Many sides. He was playing no. both sides. It's, it's yeah. quite That's obvious. What he was doing. Yeah, it's listen. See, here's I'm, the thing, Camille, is that most people I'll, do not this is have the thing, I'm asking the thing you, where they, they I'm they, asking yeah. you the question before yeah. you before sure. you go, I'm asking you the question, what was his motive? And I'm not I'm not positing an answer. I'm saying that at a minimum, the president has condemned these things. And the constant refrain is that he never has. It's very rare, though, that you have a politician who has condemned these things and at the same time hasn't condemned these things. But that's most, just it. Mo- there is no hasn't condemned okay, this thing. Hold on, hold on. Mo- 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 most people are very consistent on these, these sorts of issues. I mean, the thing about, about what, where Trump is on this, and, you know, you can't get inside his head. And if you did, it would just be sort of foggy cotton candy. I don't think the guy <laughs> thinks a lot about this and he doesn't think seriously about a lot I'm of things. The one thing I do think he thinks about mm-hmm. is that he wants it, what who's ever in front of him wants to be popular with that person. So I I think the problem is, is that when you see him talking about David Duke, right, in his campaign when he ran or was going to run for the Reform Party ticket, he called Pat Buchanan a neo-Nazi. He called him an anti-Semite. He said he has the support of David Duke, et cetera. That kind of stuff is like, well, my God, this guy's an anti-Nazi. He might as well be in fucking Antifa, put a balaclava on him, put him in a coffee shop in in Portland, and he'll fit right in. No, because right after that, you get, you know, not right after, you know, he's running for president, and he's sitting on CNN or wherever the hell he was. Who is this David Duke? I I can't just buy his support. I don't know. The reason he does that is fairly simple and the reason he does when he says that like you know playing both sides and then he lards it at, at the end with this like you know uh really sort of like out of a fucking machine anti-racism speech but he's like you know they're good people on both sides is like i'm not going to offend people who are ha- that have maga hats on who are marching through a city no matter who they are yeah i just I'm don't jump- i i get i get that argument and i've heard it many times i would challenge true. anyone <laughs> i would challenge anyone yeah. i would challenge anyone who's listening to go watch that cnn video of jay Tapper talking to Donald Trump and the moment where he says, you know, the supports of white supremacists of the KKK and Donald and uh, and uh, David Duke has endorsed you. And he says, I don't know anything about David Duke in a colloquial setting. If I said to you, I don't know anything about Matt Welch. The man is forcefully (laughs) inelegant, forcefully inelegant. Okay, what you just said? He doesn't think, and and now I'm supposed to believe he's calibrating his words carefully so he doesn't offend. No, no, I'm telling you, his calibration is wearing racist. It's a basic thing. It's It's an emotional impulse. Yeah, and here's my and here is why I any president should probably be over the top denouncing freaking white nationalists all the time because this as we were talking earlier this is a movement that has no ideological organization or leadership and it, yeah. the moment that the president tilts his hands towards them a little bit that is enough validation for these like aimless dripless losers to say oh man the president of the United States is on our side saying that you it, decry racism and bigotry and hatred is tilting your hand towards them no just the one if you open the door just a little bit that is enough for them the guy yeah okay I think, it is I not, think, it's not, I'm, I'm, I'm they, not putting, I'm I'm not putting this on the president you, right now, I am putting I'm, this on the people who are desperately looking for a leader I agree, figure. I agree. And, and, I'm say, and I would suggest that is, both the media who suggest over and over again that no, the president the, is is secretly supporting them and them coming away from a speech where he, he 
pretty much says that they're bad. Like, no, on, at the I very, just don't, I don't why do they it's keep a, it thinking is that he's it talking to them? Because they're lunatics. Though. I think it's because poor they're leadership. lunatics who are desperate to to graft onto absolutely anything. It's funny because it it's almost like we we're talking about uh, you know Islamic extremism before, and the extreme version of apology for for some of this stuff is like people. It's always like some guy who lives in Park Slope being like, you know, what, it's really not about Islam, and then it cuts back to the guy in Hamas. It's like, no, no, seriously, it is. Like, <laughs> my interpretation is it absolutely is. And yeah. it's like, and, and, and I think it's the same way of like some of the people that uh, support Trump, they don't believe that Trump is on their side. They don't. And the reason that they don't, that, that, that they consider evidence of this, is the fact that he's let, a, you know, a vandal, a Jew inside the temple. Mm-hmm. They think that Jared Kushner and all this stuff is like, how could this man allow this sort of thing to happen? But... You know, the subterranean belief is that he's on our side. He just has to do this stuff to get through the day. That's what they and say. That's yes. enough, it is a QAnon but, but, thing. And, and, it's, and, it's, and it's like enough that they think that he is. Look, it's funny because a lot of Nazis have the same idea of the people that you're arguing against is that he is cluing into us and he's tipping us off and he's giving us a little nod in the wink. And they see that. The people who hate Trump see that. You just don't see that. Right? I think I think there is. I think there's a rather absurd argument being made that the president of the United States, this not particularly bright man Mm -hmm. who talks extemporaneously and can only ever say positive, affirmative things about himself, who denigrates um, a a dead senator of the United States, who is a war hero, who a lot of people respect and, and can't help but talk about how the guy or perhaps his family didn't thank him for his state funeral. Um, the, the man is he had a catered. the man is a grotesque <laughs> mm-hmm. Didn't even oddity. The I, yeah. I just don't see the the per, the perfectly carefully calibrated speech. I see a circumstance where people read what they want to. But, but Camille, into here's, here's a my point. Of this. Here's my point on this. If but you, I can't, but but I can't persuade people. Look, I get this. it. I get what you're saying. But the, the, I, the, if the allegation earlier was he hasn't ever condemned these things. Oh, I, I demonstrated never, I never that. Said he has. I, like I, no, I say that he more often than not doesn't want to, or when he does, uh, he does it motives. in a sort of half halfway. <laughs> but here's the thing: is that if you are maybe signaling to people, you may be not signaling, but, but some people on the Nazi side, on the sort of progressive side, are seeing. This right, uh-huh. maybe, maybe it's happening. Maybe it's happening. we don't know. Maybe it's happening. Here's the thing: condemnation is 100 percent not thing. He's he's. Done but it. here's the thing that thumbs Silly. the scale against you. Uh huh. Get the copy of Mein Kampf off the bedside table, right? You remember this, right? Oh yeah, reported the by be- Marla Maples. He's saying, in the beginning. Get, yes. you know, there's all these other things that make it so much worse, right? The the Central Park Five thing, the thing that the people Omarosa is not what I keep talking about, but people that have been within his orbit in the past who said yeah. that he's very used very racially charged language. Uh, one of whom I actually know, uh, oh. who said that he's has some very interesting views on these issues. Mm-hmm. So when you take all of that with this kind of half this, half that, mm-hmm. one foot on one side, one on the other, you start. Stop trusting this side over this side. Do you know what I'm saying? So I mean, I'm not. I, I'm not, I, I don't think. I don't think the guy's. I don't think he's reading so, like, the speeches you, of Joseph Goebbels, which is one step beyond <laughs> Mein Kampf. He's not. He's not smart enough to know the Nazi leadership. Right. He's just like you know. He doesn't. I don't think he's so a Nazi. So if you say that, a I don't judge think he's a Nazi. Yeah. is not to be trusted because of his Mexican heritage. Yeah. We shouldn't give him the benefit of the doubt. It's strange. Mm. 
Dude, but, yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to stay here anymore. Do it's you want to move on to Stuyvesant? I would like to move on to Stuyvesant. I'd like to move on to another place. A, I, to another. I'm gonna place get on my Segway <laughs> and go over to the M and M store. <laughs> Die high. Do see what happens. Move over to another place where yeah. it is appropriate to judge people on the basis of their race. Where it is appropriate to say to young children who take an examination to get into an elite public school, one of, what, seven or eight in the city, if I'm not mistaken. It's about that, yeah. Uh, in, a, in a city where most of the kids are failed by their schools. I, I think it's fair to say. But because someone's fetish is to focus on the seven or eight schools that are actually really, really, really outstanding, we have been having a nonstop conversation for a couple of years now about Stuyvesant, Brock Science and a couple of other educational institutions where you actually have to take an exam in order to get in. So what's the news story here? Camille? The news story is that we have discovered that, what was it, seven, seven. Or seven black seven. students um, out of how many positions was it there? Uh, I think Fisher? it was 700. I think it might have been more than that. It might have been, been like 900, 900 yeah. positions in the school. Yeah. Um, but only seven kids who made it into the school were black. Um, of course, the kids who were admitted into the school weren't admitted into the school because of their race. They were admitted into the school because they performed exceptionally well on the standardized tests. And at this particular school, Stuyvesant um, High School, uh, you actually had to perform the very, very, very best. They had the highest, most stringent standards of anyone. Um, the, the response to this initially was, well, you know, all these rich white kids are outperforming <laughs> these black kids and they have these special <laughs> enclaves that are devoted to them. Of course, in the story itself, in the New York Times piece, uh, we learn, and I don't have the rest of the details because they just kind of give you a little bit of insight, that something like 70-odd percent of the students in the school are low-to-middle-income Asian students. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who tend to perform really, really well and make it into this school. Um, but but important, important, the, the, the many, many headlines uh-huh. were that the Stuyvesant High School in particular was majority white. Well, at least I saw I saw more than a few reporters and journalists talking about it on Twitter who so would wait, characterize just, just the to be clear, and they went uncorrected mm-hmm. by the reporter yeah, tag. Yes, yep. to be to be clear about this uh-huh. is that the students that are getting in the who are Asian seventy odd percent of these students, right? Uh-huh. And I think it's I think I think the number of white students was fifteen percent. Yes, of uh, a population of thirteen percent, right? Like in, a, the, in a, the Asian yeah. students are not seventy yeah, yeah. percent of New York City. Stuyvesant specifically, it's seventy one percent Asian, seventeen percent white. Seventeen percent white. Okay. Do they have so, where the white kids are coming from? Just out of curiosity. Uh, in this particular article, no, no, it's not. Okay. So uh, I, uh, I know, like anecdotally, I know a lot of people who went to Stuyvesant, but they were from like lower class outer borough places. Mm. So. Anyways, let's go back to the story. So you know, the question that I, because you mentioned this and I hadn't heard this. I mean, the first thing that I saw about this, and Camille knows more about this than, than most people. That, I mean, the uneducated thing was that my first instinct on this was I hear, I see a lot of people on Twitter talking about this is where, you know, these idiots are talking about stories that nobody else cares about. And I don't think this is probably as big as it is on Twitter amongst the sort of, probably true. you know, cognicenti of, uh, of uh, you know, blue check marks in this city. But the, the, the idea of this is that uh, test prep, number one, 
Um, we have, by the way, this is a presumption, and this is what reporters should not do, mm-hmm. is that test prep is effective. There's a lot of people that say, I don't know if they're right, I don't mm-hmm. know if they have evidence mm-hmm. behind this, that test prep is taking your money and setting it on fire, that it's not necessarily, does not lead to higher scores, et cetera. But you said something that's, that's fairly interesting to me, because it kind, of, it kind of disrupts the class argument in some ways. Mm-hmm. Is it actually true, from mm-hmm. what you know, that the Asian students, by and large, that or what the median income is of them are lower middle class. This was in the New York Times story. So that is to suggest that the people getting the most stringent school are are lower income minority students, right? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. So the and controversy they're doing it, they're doing it on okay. the basis of merit with respect to their performance on this test. Now there could be numerous ways to evaluate merit. But that isn't the controversy. So the controversy a, yeah. here is that the school is not demographically representative, sure. i.e. there aren't a sufficient number of black kids in the school, which yeah. for me, when I hear that, I hear something that isn't substantively different from saying there are too many Asian students in the school. It's a, it, there's a cosmetic difference to, yeah. between the two statements. And I want to refine that and say there are too many qualified Asian students in the school because they have passed the examinations giving them access to this particular institution, but it's not good enough. And imagine that. Like, imagine restating that. Yes, young Asian student, you've taken this test, you've performed well, but we already have enough of you people here. (laughs) It's grotesque. (laughs) And that is the standard that's being applied So a follow-up question on this. Um, You know, when when it was being misreported that it was like um, a sort of white privilege and rich people paying for you know, SAT, was it Princeton, whatever it's called? What is Princeton it? Review. Princeton <laughs> Review, kind of uh, test prep and everything. Name of my nightmares. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the idea was that rich people, much like the scandal that we talked about in the last one with Felicity Huffman or whatever, are buying their way in because they're getting the advantage of paying for these tests and everything. So then you read into this, as, as Camille just pointed out, and you have lower to middle income Asian students what is the argument with that? Because it's a very, very tied to the, the white students that they're getting this kind of rich parents in sort of Connecticut or the Upper West Side or whatever it is, getting these test prep. What is the argument? It's an honest question. What is the argument about Asian parents? Is it all a tiger parent thing? Or that they are I mean, scripting and saving is, and also doing the test prep? Well, I mean, the general conversation around Asian As American, an Asian person. Hi, it's me. <laughs> is this why you invited me onto the yeah, show? Yeah, specifically, yep, it's specifically yeah. so you can purchase yeah. this part of the conversation but, hey, and then have be legitimized we, by my presence. That's, you might actually see some like intra-Asian rivalries. Like, you know, I'm Vietnamese and these Chinese <laughs> students really have got together. That's what we're hoping Yeah, that's what we're hoping for. Yeah, yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. Um, kind of true though, isn't it? Oh, <laughs> see? Uh, see? Uh, Chinese. Let's Covering her hand. Yeah, go ahead. Let's take a deep breath. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I mean, like, I feel which... so bad being representative. And here's, and actually, that does reflect my point, yeah. is that there is very few the conversation around Asian American representation is so limited to maybe three or four tropes like tiger parents, um, tiger parents. It's <laughs> yeah. largely tiger parents. It's not necessarily. Well, no, it's the white trope is, is test prep. Yeah. It's like, is right. that it's, that's all it's reduced to. Yeah. I like, the thing is, is that there isn't that much of a public debate over what it is that Asian parents and Asian Americans are doing in order to get themselves into these schools. Like, uh-huh. It's all kind of like tied down to, oh, there's some sort of like weird ethnic thing going on and some ethnic sort of uh, quality. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there has been a thing so? in college admissions where, they, where they've said that 
in in certain cases they haven't admitted Asian students because they haven't fit into the culture of the personality. Oh, that's so true. That is that is legitimately true. I remember. So that's different than Tiger parents. That's different Chinese, right? Different trope. Yeah. Um, hmm. Very social, the Vietnamese. That's, <laughs> that's what Tina's told me many times. She's very, she's very fun to hang out with. Throw so. back. Yeah, yeah. I actually did very terribly at calculus. So really, really badly. Uh, but I, I wouldn't have presumed, you, but do I wouldn't you believe, have presumed otherwise, Tina. By the way, do you, you believe that Thank this you. is accountable to one of two things? That the Vietnamese are just left, uh, different, or is that like American <laughs> imperialism somehow involved in this? Because you do have a number of excuses you could go to for the fact that you're shitty at calculus. <laughs> uh, you could be just shitty at it, but I'm yeah. trying I, to give you a lifeline here. That's good. No, I'm just yeah, shitty that's at calculus. Where we are right now. I'm just very shitty at calculus. But I mean, if yeah. we're going to go back to actual substantive conversations about no. affirmative action, would yes. you like that? I please, can do please that. bring it, bring it, bring the noise. I think making a connection between academic performance and genetics, or at least race. Is totally appropriate, right? But, go, say, go on. That's sarcasm. That's sarcasm. That's Camille sarcasm. sarcasm. Camille Molyneux. Camille is starting yeah. to like starting to go into like measuring people's skulls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's got calipers it in is, his pocket. It is Thursday. Yeah. No, I mean like there's liberation phrenology. I would like. I didn't grow up in New York, so I'm gonna like. I'm going to preface it with that, but I really would like to see exactly what kind of. Uh, resources are available to Asian students who are trying to get into Stuyvesant. Maybe mm-hmm. it's like parents tying their children to piano benches. Yeah. Or maybe, I don't know, it's just like a longer standing like group uh, psychology where people actually like, instead of saying, all right, we are going to let you do X, Y, and Z. We're going to like literally force you into a room and like make you take tests over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Or like maybe there's some sort of other cultural dynamic well, the, at play. The, okay, the, so here's the thing though. If uh-huh. you say that it's cultural, right? Mm-hmm. And it might, very well might be, I think that's probably logical, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's not, people have written books about this, right? It correlates to lots of things. Uh-huh. Is it then okay to make the opposite argument about the number of people who aren't getting in from other ethnic groups that it's cultural? Because the because uh, what happens then is that you have two distinct arguments that culturally Asian people are lower income. They're not doing the test prep. They're being tied to piano bench kind of thing. And then the other one is is uh, sort of uh, systemic discrimination, et cetera, which can still be true. It's not a binary kind of choice. Mm-hmm. But that to make the argument that it's cultural on the other end is to walk into a minefield. Yeah, it's it's better to avoid that altogether and yeah. just make the argument that it's wrong. Yes, it's wrong that this institution is not representative of the city. To be clear, I am not making the cultural (laughs) argument. None of us either direction. Shoot, did I just? Oh fuck! Uh, I'm I'm prepared. I'm prepared to do so. He's going to play meth now. Yeah, (laughs) but 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 to to answer the question that was asked earlier, I did go back and and find it, and the Times article actually describes the population of the school as the mostly low income Asian students who make up the majority of the school's student body. What an American um, the, success story, though. New right? York City, mm-hmm. New York City. They're mostly has, recent immigrants. New York too. City has yeah. been concerned about this problem of diversity in these elite schools, where all of the kids go on to do very, very well for a very long time. So long, in fact, that they've already instituted programs where they work with kids who don't manage to make the cut. This sort of discovery program to try to improve the diversity representation, the representation of other racial groups in these schools. I won't call that diversity because I won't dignify it in that way. Um, and and they've also gone so far as to give free test prep 
to students in New York City to prepare for this test that any student who is in middle school can take any place in the city of New York. It is entirely possible that standardized testing is a bad look here, that students who perform well on standardized tests aren't going to do well. And it's worth noting that uh, Roland Fryer, who is an economist at, I don't remember, Harvard, Yale, one of the two places, but in either case, Roland Fryer, um, one of the projects that he's done in the past, I think this is back in like 2013, looked at these particular exam, these exam public schools Mm -hmm. and noted that the fact that these really smart kids go to this school or don't go to this school doesn't necessarily have a great deal to do with whether or not they actually go to college or finish at college. The kids who just missed the cutoff actually tended to do just a little bit better in that in that um, particular uh, way of evaluating success. It might be possible that I think the same study goes on to suggest that it might be possible that the network that you get from going to Stuyvesant, which, again, has a very robust like alumni network who's very pissed off about this stuff. Um, it might be that f- fair that that alumni network helps you to succeed in life and, you know, you make more in, in the long you're run. You're specifying alumni you network because, I mean, there is also a school that people that I know that went to uh-huh. was uh, a friend network of getting into journalism, publishing, because they had friends who had uh-huh. parents that were this. I mean, but yeah. we're talking about a school in which 70% of people are identified. I don't know uh-huh. what what percentage actually are, but that if 70% of those people are identified as lower Low middle income. class, mm-hmm. that the actual social network that you have in school is limited to non-existent. Right. right? Until until you all go on to be successful at but things. What about like, precisely. But precisely. Does but that's a couple generations ahead. Does that also include like college counselors and you know teachers who would be able to connect you to so and so and such and such? Possibly, yeah. But, possibly. but at a minimum, possibly. If, but but the but the but the results of that one study, at least that one study, and this it's paltry. I mean, I think with a lot of these academic things, we don't necessarily have enough research to draw any kind of concrete conclusions. But with this one study, the the finding appears to be that going to this school versus doing all the things you need to do really well on the test, but not quite making the cut. And going to a different school that happens to be more diverse, that isn't as rigorous, you actually have a better chance of finishing at university. Mm-hmm. Like, that's interesting. It and if we were having a conversation about yeah. these schools not necessarily being a great idea the way they're constituted because they don't really seem to, to put the kids in a better position to succeed, I might be more interested in this. But in a city where we are spending a tremendous amount of money. This is among the most expensive educational systems in the country per pupil. And we're still failing kids. The schools still don't work for most children. To fetishize this particular issue, the slots at these seven or eight schools for Bill de Blasio and company to be spending so much time talking about these schools is the obscene. It resonates with the people writing about it, right? I mean, the number of people that mm-hmm. I've ri- ri- I've seen writing about it, and then I looked on their LinkedIn and like, oh, you went to Dalton, which is a private version of these public schools. Mm-hmm. The, the the other thing about this, I think that one of the problems with it is so much of this stuff, when necessary, when sort of ideologically necessary, and when for, for the purposes of argument and necessary, rests on presumption, right? So the presumption is that test prep gets you into school and makes you a better student, et cetera, when I'm not sure that there's evidence that that exists. The, the, the evidence that 
or the studies that Camille cites, I haven't read, but they sound quite interesting, right? Mm -hmm. This is something that has some academic backings. These people aren't just, they're not the Andrew Wakefield MMR MMR vaccines of like Harvard (laughs) University. They're not, I don't think these people are faking it, right? So they're fairly interesting. But so much of it rests on these lazy presumptions that, you know, these people are white, which is why you have these headlines that are, that are misidentifying. It's like, it's like, what should should we say? Misracing? It's like misgendering. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the, 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 the actual population of the school based on presumption no it's presuming that segregation it's, it's like Oof. i'm presuming that it's white that, that it's white people that are doing this, and that's not actually true and we're presuming on another level that there's seven students and i think that this is from most of the stuff that i've seen and stuff i've seen written about it that it's seven to eight students because of sort of contemporaneous bigotry or racism or bias or whatever whereas i am very convinced that the fact that historical racism is a part of a lot of this stuff but there's Everything is built in with these presumptions and not built in with a lot of data. So when you see people kind of stroking their chins and, you know, expounding on what, you know, why this is happening, what's actually going on. About halfway through, when you ask these people, what is the actual evidence for this? What, you know, how do you know that this is full of of sort of well-heeled white kids from the Upper West Side, who are taking all these very fancy test preps and doing very well because of it. I don't know if that's true, and they don't either. But there's so much presumption here. But, like, you know, a lot of those kids, by the way, just go to Dalton. They go to private schools. I'm going to throw a wrench into this discussion. Uh I just looked up the um, entry exam for Stuyvesant. It is 57 multiple choice questions on the English language assessment and 57 multiple choice questions on the mathematics assessment. No personal essay, no discussion of anything other than being able to answer multiple choice questions when analyzing nonfiction and fiction passages. Super racist. Goddamn age. I mean, that's... Being able to pick one out of four choices. But it's but it's a good point. It's just a, a, like it, beyond the fact of like who, like how is it measuring these kids? It's just a bad measurement. I mean, I don't think that I don't want a school in which there's all these kind of twitchy, almost autistic kids who are incredible at math and like don't know <laughs> so how to. Not like, nice. I am not. By the way, I'm talking about. Whoa. I'm talking about the standards that Tina just actually uh, mentioned. I'm not talking about. Why not have a school like that? You, wow. Don't defend what are you, why not? What are you saying we know about what you really meant. Why won't you? De- de- why won't you declare that white supremacists is? We do have schools like that. We have public schools like that. We have art schools like that and we have Bronx science like that Stuyvesant does not actually as far as I'm aware does not actually present itself as that type of school correct no um, it's just no, a, it's, it's a broad like, it's a yeah pass the yeah. test get in yeah but I'm just saying the test, seems, test. test. I, test as seems a little far as I can tell weird. maybe it's a specialized school I don't know maybe if I'm looking at the right articles and if there is something else that proves otherwise crap I'm sorry but as far as I can tell it is literally take this test and then you get in and mm-hmm. I think that has I think that's a very limited way of just dis- of figuring out who you admit into your school or not yeah. like there's literally a bar that says we will absolutely not consider diversity because here is a freaking here's a multiple choice test well, you know, apparently the test was opposed by the liberal Republican governor, John Lindsay, who uh, and that was in the 1960s, who said it was biased against uh, certain minority groups in the city. Mm-hmm. So, the it's an point? old it's an old argument. So it's it's, it's, it's well, not something new. There's one one last thing on this. There was a piece um, in uh, in New York magazine um, that had a, a rather offensive passage, I thought, um, where it describes the the outrage 
amongst people who don't want the the procedures for getting into the school to change. And quite frankly, as I, as I mentioned, I don't know that standardized testing is the appropriate way to do this. What bothers me about this is the particular emphasis on this is wrong because not enough of the kids who look this way are going there, which, which essentially a, means too many of the kids who look that way are going which there. Which was such a widespread reaction to the story. Chris Hayes, uh-huh. MSNBC, a bunch of like, people presented this as – my God, we are living with segregation right, right now. Which is it's it's not that. But, Still being positioned but as the, that. But, but the piece yeah. but the piece says core to the backlash is an unwillingness on the part of today's beneficiaries to surrender their advantage. Oh god. Even in the name of equality. Like that is literally like straight out of Harrison Bergeron. Like you could see that. That is Tina, kind of, like the notion. Crazy. The notion. Can you give me some is, Asian outrage for ugh. fuck's sake on this stuff. Like, does this? Okay. I mean, no. I mean, I'm actually not. <laughs> I, I, I don't understand. I could gin some up. Wow. Right yeah. <laughs> this is, no, this mean, is performative I, right uh, now. I realize you're on your phone, but like, there's there's this. I mean, there's a tension when we talk about affirmative action, and most of us try really hard not to ever talk about affirmative yes. action. Mm-hmm. Yes. Why would you do it? It's I'm actually not, leaving the room right now. It's pointless. <laughs> Um, but like there's a tension that is basically like (laughs) Asians versus everybody else on this. Right. And so like when you get to a standardized test situation, Mm -hmm. it's all about like, my God, there's 71% Asians and, and this is segregation and whatever. So how do you process that information here? Do you feel like the, uh, minority, and I, I, I don't mean for you to saddle everything on your shoulders for fuck's sake. That, yeah, okay. But yeah. You know, I'm pretty sure that's why you invited me. Yeah. This, it's not. This. That is not it's, what happened. Uh, totally not. Uh, but you like, know, I don't. I don't. Or you'll have to explain to me just, why I'm a fan favorite. Just but. for the record, <laughs> I don't. You've been in the survey. I don't see <laughs> Asian, so that's yeah. not why you're okay. a fan favorite. Because you're frank talking and you're funny, and as and I you, don't, you, I never lay as a line. As I mentioned, me, please. And, and as and I mentioned in the DMs and your DMs earlier today, I only see Asian. That was supposed to be quiet talk. I'm going to save Matt's life right now. You wouldn't hear. You're an authoritative voice, and we would like to hear. Okay. Uh, but with if I can Elizabeth be- Holmes like, <laughs> Timber. Timber. Um, okay, I'm not gonna do that because my <laughs> voice is fried. <laughs> you were gonna try. But she, she was thinking about it. Honestly, whenever I get asked this question, it just like it all kind of shatters in my brain. Like I there are a lot of different factors that people have to consider when they talk about Asian American success rates in the country. Mm-hmm. Like, are we talking about like, it is easy to lump everyone into one big, yellow, slanty-eyed group. <laughs> I'm going to kill She's that. Asian, you said it. We still don't yes. exist. Only Camille yeah. left. Yeah. We don't do slanty-eyed anymore. I feel yeah. like... Uh, yeah. like yeah. Um, but... It's called epicampic folds. So, um, there... Wow. Is it? There is a um, Ali Wong routine where she differentiates between um, quote unquote fancy Asian and quote unquote jungle Asians. The fancy Asians, <laughs> the fancy I Asians love racism are <laughs> Jesus. So quote unquote fancy Asians, um, technically, initially she defines them as like people from China or Korea, but when you start looking at the way that they're represented in elite schools, they always tend to be like people who either have been in this country for a very long time or people who have come over to the States with like a crap load of Korean test prep and a lot of money. Uh, and then there is a subset of Asian immigrant refugees, such as myself, who, you know, may have 
been able to somehow claw their way into places like Vanity Fair. I don't know how the fuck that happened, but (laughs) it's not going to (laughs) lie. Yeah. Yeah. This is the the last day. That's Um, not true. No, but like there, but there is a lot, there are a lot of um, Asian Americans from Southeast Asia who are refugees who came to this country and have significant disadvantages, but then for them to Mm -hmm. kind of be, pushed into this one group with another group of Asians that have had better um, life advantages. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird thing for me. So, it, But when- it's even, but it's, it's, it's strange because for me watching this, it's even broader than that in the sense mm-hmm. that I know a number of Asian people that in certain moments refer to themselves as people of color. It's like everybody on that panel is white except for me. And there'll be somebody who's you know, sort of Japanese, Korean, et cetera. And then when you get down to referring to people as Asian, which is mm-hmm. which is more specific than people of color, mm-hmm. it's then e- even more worthless in the sense that the difference, as you're pointing out, between yourself, who's a refugee, mm-hmm. and somebody else who comes to the United States from a sort of a reasonably well-off Korean family that has Korean test prep. And by the way, if you want to look this up, look at the test prep villages that people oh, have God. in Korea. They're, they're insane. They're celebrity in, yeah. test prep tutors in yeah. Korea. It's mm-hmm. crazy. And so the difference there is rather dramatic. And you can actually make fun of, of stupid just... Americans for actually including everybody in the same thing. But there's also a point at which people do like the even broader inclusion and in saying that I am a person of color, right? Mm-hmm. And that is not a useful term that I don't think so in a lot of ways. But, you know, it's funny to hear you say that. It's like, look, we're very, very different. But at the same time, it's like Asian. That category is 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 too in, used that, to be useful. That is in California, why, like, that, that's no longer a, a category. Like yeah. people, people like separate. It's Koreans, Vietnamese. It's v- way too that's, diffused. It's that's really smart on California's part. But like, I have gone to several elite colleges, and I have wow, I have <laughs> several. Sorry, totally. no, I one degree, a, by the way, several elite no. colleges. <laughs> typical. Yeah. Actually, technically, yes, I went to Tulane, and then I transferred to Claremont McKenna. So yeah, several. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I also went. I also somehow by the of grace of God got into a elite prep school and I was coasting through all of these places on a shitload of scholarships and at the same time I would be in the quote unquote Asian society with some <laughs> South, with some like Hong Kong heiress who was driving Maseratis <laughs> and we were just sitting there going like wait the thing yeah. that unites us is that we eat rice? Okay. Well, no! Oh. The older you get the yeah. older you the older I get and the more I understand this I'm just like no! There was a lot of shit I had to go through that you did not have to go through. Uh, so let's talk about your review. I was so, so, oh, so, so are you maybe realizing or realizing recently <laughs> that the category of Asian is kind of worthless? Yes, it's completely worthless. Okay. Amen. It's yeah. completely 100% She's singing worthless. singing from my hymnal. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all bullshit. Do you, do you know, Camille said something to me many, so many years wait, ago. Wait, wait, wait. So question, if that's completely Art. bullshit, why are you like bringing this on? me yeah, no. what are you talking about no. what are you talking about <laughs> what? what do you mean bringing it on you what do you mean as an Asian person, you said. No, that was. Yeah. Oh, sorry, that was. Oh, that was, that was, that was okay. Oh, yes. I would never say that. Oh yeah, okay. I would. I would never say that. And, no, I, and I want to say again, explicitly. Not only did we not invite you here because of your ethnic background, country of origin. I'm giving you, you a lot of crap it. right now, man. Don't worry I, about not it. Not only right. I didn't even think about that until you mentioned it. Yeah, I didn't swear. Think I mean, I did. I swear. But that's because <laughs> I don't see color. I, well, I'll tell you this. This is um, except I know Camille, you all just a Camille love story. Me. 
And uh, we can cut everything before that because, you know, it's just Camille yeah. know, making a fool of himself. Just true. Um, that, so I'm here, actually. Camille said something to me a long time ago, which uh -oh. I, 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 I've actually recounted this story a bunch, a bunch of times uh, since. I don't even know if you remember this, but uh -huh. it was ages and ages ago. And we were talking about these bizarre racial categories that lump people from disparate cultures together as one kind of umbrella. And once they get under the umbrella, they look at each other and like, what the fuck? Who are you? <laughs> I got And you said something to me and I can't remember the exact verbatim thing, but I'll give a, uh, my impression of it, of that, you know, the, th the thing about Americans is that we talk about race and talk about black people, white people, et cetera. And that um, Camille's background, which is Jamaican, is that Jamaicans are like too busy hating Trinidadians to care about anything else <laughs> or, you know, Tobagans. And it's like within island culture, nobody's thinking twice about white people these days because, you know, the colonial masters of Jamaica have, have, have gone. gone, et cetera. But it's like, it's too, we, we don't like, this is a great, this is an American, the, the, the joke I remember some comedians saying, Americans are the type of people that go to China, you know, billion people, and then say, God, look at all these minorities. That <laughs> is what we do. We categorize people and we think about it. We do not think that we think it's a uniquely American problem. It's uh -huh. the other thing. Racism is that, right. is that, you know, everybody hates immigrants. That's a conversation we had on this podcast before. You know, if people are coming from Myanmar, Burma, whatever, into Pakistan, they're going to beat them with stones. When Venezuelans are going into Brazil, there's people being murdered and set on fire. It's True not story. just, it's, it happens everywhere mm -hmm. in those small differences. You know, a Venezuelan versus, I mean, if you read Philip Garavich's very, very good book, on the Rwandan genocide called We Regret to Inform You That Tomorrow Will Be Killed With Our Families, which is a great mm. reference to the um, sort of colonial formal writing that people did, that the priest said, we're going to be killed, and did it in this incredibly formal way, is that there's a moment when Garavich is talking to people and says, how can you tell a Hutu from a Tutsi? And they look at him incredulous and say, oh my God, the nose is a bit wider here, and this is a bit... Yeah, and no. now he says that this is in some ways exacerbated, I believe this, exacerbated by, by colonial powers who are trying to pit people against each other. It makes perfect sense in, in some way. But that stuff persists, and no matter where it comes from, it's very, very funny when we talk about people of color and blah, blah, blah. And you go to other countries like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? Seriously? I hate my neighbor. I can't get along with this fucking guy. And you guys are talking in this sort of larger way, which includes people from cultures that have nothing to do with each other, but vaguely physically similar. And that is a great privilege that we have as Americans. That is exactly what is going on with people talking about, like, Asian whatevers. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't... It's funny that, that, that you know, if somebody could look at your last name and not identify you as somebody of a Vietnamese background and say, well, you know, all these Asian kids are getting into Stuyvesant. I mean, how many of them are Vietnamese? Probably one yeah. percent. I mean, well, the thing is, the Viet there is not a large Vietnamese population. It's not an East city. Coast. Yeah, it's not yeah, an East Coast. Exactly. Thing. Yeah. 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 Anyway, we've been at this for a while. We have. We have. Uh, I, I just I'm, I'm remembering something I, I was texting with Fisher and another friend earlier this week. But it's the it's the bizarreness of living in a country where we talk a great deal about equality and equal treatment and how we prize these things. But our our dedication to those values is something that manifests itself by forcing us to almost exclusively in many instances talk about people's genitals and who they prefer to fucking sleep with yeah. and how they prefer to sleep with them and whether or not their genitals are brown. Are or you asking me? Because I have a lot of great stories and, about that. And, and that's just, <laughs> like, I, I actually, right. I don't okay. care. 
I really? generally don't care about I have a your story sexual that you'd be like, you'd be pretty amazed by. Together. It would be well, great. I do want to hear about that afterwards uh, because you usually have good that. stories about that sort of thing. <laughs> um, but we, we should you get should. out of here. Um, Thank you, Tina. Thank you, Tina. Thank you. Thank you, Tina. Yeah. I love all of Thank you, you and I know that none of you are <laughs> inviting me here because of the color of my skin, but about the content of my asshole character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Assholes only. Yeah. I want to make a Vietnamese joke, but it's just not going to work. I'll, just, I'll make it at the bar. Two minutes. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Again, you hit my Patreon that doesn't exist. I'll tell you my, my Tina I Asian mean, joke. Do you have a, a good one? Uh, oh, I can make one up pretty quickly. Yeah. Just, bye. Yeah. yeah. Bye. 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 bye, bye. Wait, no. Can I, can I do it? Can, can I do you it? Sound good. Yeah, you're can fine. I do it? Are we good? Okay. So I totally forgot to do it, and maybe I can find a way to edit this in, but if not, then I'm appending it to the end. I was at Thad Russell's Renegade University this yeah. past weekend. Yeah. I was there hanging out with a bunch of kids. It was a lot of fun at the Reason Headquarters in D.C. is actually where it was hosted. But I ran into Gord McGill, who handed me a bottle of McKenzie Bourbon Whiskey. And uh, he also said to me that he absolutely loves Michael Moynihan and that he's brilliant and wonderful and I should communicate as much to him. And I wasn't going to do it because I didn't want to inflate his already massive um, yeah. ego. Swollen but ego. Here, here we are. <laughs> the, bourbon, the bourbon was delicious. Yeah. Um, and it, it because almost Because we recorded induced this a, at the end, fight. by the way, I want so. you to know that the slurriness <laughs> in this is your fault. Mm -hmm. The things that people say that might get them fired yeah. is your fault. Totally, totally we appreciate fault. it. And you know whose fault it isn't? Skinny Girl, the yeah. wine which uh, Tina brought here very generously. Oh, that she, yeah. she spent fourteen ninety nine on. It tastes like dog shit. Yeah. I will attest to that, and yeah. I am sorry, Skinny Girl, but yeah. I, here's the thing. The last time I'd rather I be have, a fat girl than drink that stuff. <laughs> you know, the last time I was, wow, well, that shaming over no, here, my no, boy in hand, yeah. <laughs> okay, are we still recording? You said no, he's actually stop. saying that he has a preference for fat girls. That's what she said. You're gonna cut this out right now. Okay, stop. You know, <laughs> Thank you for the booze. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.